You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 49. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Visit us at codingblocks.net. We can find show notes, example, discussion, and other stuff. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net <laughs> and find all our social links there at the top of the page. What? 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 And with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. All righty. So, as always is the tradition here, we like to start off with uh, saying thanks to the people that took the time to leave us a review. And I really don't want to say some of these names. I think I will, though. Some of them aren't so bad. I think I'm going to take iTunes. I'll let one of you guys take the Stitcher one. All right. That'll well, work. first... I want to know which of you guys um, beat Wizard of Oz in arm wrestling in order to get him to write a review. Oh, that was totally me. You just <laughs> ask Will. Will is scared of me, man. I oh, beat is him that in, who that was? Yeah, I beat him in a race already. Just ask him. If, if you're on our Slack channel, just go over there and hit Will Madison and, and be like, yo, I, I heard Alan smoked you. And then that, that should do it right there. You know, I read that review and I was like, wait a minute. Who is that? <laughs> Mom? Oh, that's amazing. All right. Uh, all right, so from iTunes, we have Clive Scott Zimbabwe. He's from Zimbabwe. He's from Zimbabwe. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Dave Lowe, 85. Ali Hamadi, Wizard of Oz 8. I guess the first seven parts were not as good as the eighth. <laughs> Matt P. Caswell. Uh, I feel like H0317 is supposed to mean something. Uh, maybe if I were to like translate those to letters, H H O, like like, holla. I don't know. Uh, Jin R K, tricks. Uh, help me out here, Alan. Ideal. Or okay, ADL? I'll take that. Well, now what? I like that one. Jamie W S T, and a dually. Yes, yes. You you want Stitcher? You want me to attack this one, Joe? Uh, I got it. Go ahead. You got Ajit, Dakota the Giraffe. And notice I didn't say go raff. <laughs> sea stick. Oh my god. Wild True Return Null. Lavin, Dylan Rib, Holly Joe C and Mantra Polo. Love it guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, the there were some really good ones. All all of them were excellent and thank you. I mean there were some really heartfelt ones in there and they all all put smiles on our faces. Yep. Yeah, we, we can't say it enough how much uh, we really do appreciate you guys taking the time. And and some of you guys have actually taken the time to do it on uh, both Stitcher and iTunes, which is like a double extra thank you. Uh, so we super appreciate that. Yeah, I might have even somewhat like twisted Andrew K's arm into doing the <laughs> other one because I helped him out with something. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll go ahead and interject this in here. Uh, you know, I was going to bring it up later. But, uh, you know, as our way of saying thank you back to you guys... Uh, hey, guess what? We mentioned last time that coding block stickers are a thing. So if you would like one, we'd love to give you one. So if you send us a self-addressed, self-addressed stamped envelope, we'll send you a coding blocks or two sticker. Totally. Totally forgot to remember what our address was. 
Uh, we'll, do we want to put it in the show notes, or do you want to? How do you want to do that? I'm not sure. We'll figure that out. Uh, I think the show notes is probably the best place. So okay, we'll stick it up there. Rather than like randomly saying an address. Here, write this down, dear listener. Hold yeah. on, PO box. No, just kidding. nobody's going to remember that. Um, but um, you know what? Related to that, real quick, um, I should mention that we t- will totally do favors for reviews. So, <laughs> <laughs> or or hey, so, even better, do you want to just do you want to uh, just ask them to email or DM us for the? That's what I was going to say. Like, if you so, regardless, if you contact us either on Twitter or in Slack or via Let's just the do email, that. yeah, just do that. We'll send you the address to send it to, and and we'll get them out. Yeah. So, yeah, because we'd love to have uh, you to have a sticker. Yeah, and it, I wanted to also mention, we got an email from somebody, and, and I appreciated the email because the guy's like, you know, I tried out your, your, your podcast, and it really didn't do it oh, for me. Right. And, and it kind of hurts. I mean, honestly, as much as we really like to get the reviews that tell us, you know, you know how we're changing people or, or improving things or whatever, we, yeah. we also like to get the feedback, and it kind of hurt. Like, this guy, he, he wrote, and I'm not going to say who it was. because You I, can't please them all. You can't, and that's really hard sometimes, right? Like, even when you see the thumbs down on the video or something like that, it just, you might have a thousand thumbs up, but that one thumbs down is like a dagger in your side. But we appreciate it. I mean, I think he was looking more for, like, a lecture type thing, and that's not what we are. Yeah. So, you know, again, we do appreciate all feedback that comes in. You know, we're not going to be able to make everybody happy. It's impossible. But, you know, thank you for taking the time to do that, those that do. So I feel like Joe's had some more FaceTime in front of a camera. <laughs> I, I think he might be addicted to it or something <laughs> now because it's becoming a bit of a problem. I can't yeah, have a normal conversation with Joe without him recording his end of the conversation on camera <laughs> and then posting it to YouTube to be like, hey, look what I did. Yep. Like, Hang on, man. This is gold. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hold that thought one second. Yeah, I, I did make a, uh, some more Code Wars videos. And then uh, the next one coming up, um, I actually uh, walked through a problem that I created and kind of showed a little behind-the-scenes look. But wait, um, I'm kind of curious. You uh, made the problem? On it. There was a problem that didn't exist, and you're like, you know what? This is now a problem. Yeah, I this have... one was actually an intentional problem. <laughs> So I did make a problem, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, but I'll give you a little vaccine sewer. But um, I would love some feedback. So the videos are long. They've been kind of long, so I'd love to hear if that's a problem or if that's about right or I don't know if any other ideas. So I'm still kind of experimenting, so let me know. Yeah, totally. I Very mean, cool. You can leave comments on the videos, too. We'll have links in the show notes for those. I don't see where you guys are finding the time. It, man, it, it, sometimes it's hard, but like when you get excited about something, you're just like, all right, I got to do this now, otherwise I'm never going to get the around The thing there. is, though, is like I know what you guys' like workload is like, <laughs> and that's the part that's killing me because I'm like, well, I don't have time to do that. I can't do that right now, and yet you guys are like, oh, yeah, here's a, here's a video I did. I'm like, what? It was 10 o'clock at night. That's all I can say, man. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't I, edit either. Oh, I do a little bit of editing, not a lot. So I also put together a video that was, fortunately, Andrew K had a problem that he shared in Slack. And it was awesome because he was like, look, man, I'm debugging this problem and I can't get it to work. And he was pasting snippets of code. And, and we weren't really getting very far because it's really hard to take just little portions of something and really make much out of it. And he was kind enough to just zip up the entire thing and send it and be like, hey, yeah, totally. Will you help me out? And I was like, cool. Could I record this? And he was like, yeah, go ahead. So I have a real live debugging, like debugging a real application that's basically, you know, creating your ultimate Overwatch team, which I think Joe Zach got a little bit excited about when he saw. Yeah. So I didn't know it was Overwatch related. I need to get back to it. I haven't played in a long time. 
Man, I never bought it. I need to. But oh, my God. That game's awesome. So it's so fun, man. Yeah, it's probably more fun than making videos. It's but like crack. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that's up there. We'll have all those links in the show notes. And also, um, if you just go to codingblocks.net and go to the top of the page, there's a link to our YouTube page so you can see all that new stuff. Oh, and by the way, we don't have it in our show notes. Joe actually took the time to upload all our episodes to YouTube. Oh, right. So now our entire back catalog is on YouTube. So if you don't have something you can listen to and you just want to put it on the background. Hey, you want to relive the past? There you go. There you go. So that's excellent. And he even put the code that he used to do that up on our GitHub Joe's account. Joe's trying to make my life more difficult on by you know letting me track the statistics for the you know the the metrics here by having it on multiple sources. So thank you for the extra work, Jeff. <laughs> now I no definitely have less time to record my own videos. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That script is pretty ugly, but I was thinking about cleaning it up and maybe trying to uh, get a few other podcast hosts to give it a shot and see if it works for them. Maybe uh, maybe some podcasts that we'll mention here in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. All right. So it was conference time since the last time we spoke. So we have... Here in the Atlanta area, we had two great conferences, uh, one week after the next, and they were both amazing. So uh, first up was the Atlanta Code Camp. Uh, Alan and I were both at that one, uh, met some listeners there. Uh, that was awesome, as always. Uh, I got to stop saying, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but where was I going with that? Um, there, there were some great talks at that one. Oh, yeah. What was your That's favorite? where I was going with. Okay, so listen to this. So uh, before he answers, so I'm going to give you a list of the sh- of the sessions that I went to, okay? Docker for the win. Uh, a developer's guide, no, I'm sorry, a developer's introduction to Azure machine learning. Uh, put the u- put the test before the code. Uh, let's see, which this would be the fourth one. Building websites using ASP.NET Core, Docker, and Azure. And I think the last one was automate design patterns with post-sharp and aspect-oriented programming. So what did I list off? Five. Those were the five sessions that I went to that day. And uh, they each... It might. This might be the most crowded one I've been to. Either... either here's, the, here's the thing. I either lucked up and went to the popular sessions for each block for the entire day, or there were just more people here this year than in previous years because a lot of these were like beyond standing room only to to see the, the session. Yeah, I didn't go to all the same ones. I don't have a list of them, but I noticed the same thing. Every room was packed. The only one that wasn't packed, and it's a shame, was Microsoft was putting on a particular room where they oh, had the IoT. IoT devices, and they would go over different ones during different blocks. But literally, they had like six or seven tables set up with basically a Raspberry Pi starter kit for IoT-type stuff. Well, specifically, there's a Windows 10 IoT starter kit that uses the Raspberry Pi uh, with a stripped-down Windows 10 and it's it. it's amazing because I think the kit's like 115 bucks. Yep. But they showed a lot of really cool stuff in there. So that was the only one I went to during the day that wasn't crowded. But that was more like a lab type thing, and so people were kind of really more interested in the talks. I think. But yeah. Well, there were some great talks. There were there were a lot of talks. I, okay, so I listed the five that I went to right um, because there's only one of me, and I haven't figured out how to make more of me yet. <laughs> uh, you know, as clones, but. Uh, at least not where we could share, you know, the same brain. 
the <laughs> um, there were other ones though, like on Hololens, for example, that I didn't even get to. There were there were topics that I was like, man, these this sounds really interesting. Would love to know more about, but you know, these other topics I just felt like I could put uh, to work sooner, and uh, you know, they were they were really interesting to me. So. So on our favorite, though, I think we'll both agree on what our absolute favorite was, and you'll probably get into that here in a second. Um, But the one that I really enjoyed and I got a decent amount out of, and it actually made me want to go play with it more, was Docker for the Win. Like, there there were some really cool things that I found in there, and if you haven't messed with Docker and you don't know why you should mess with Docker then, uh, you know, maybe you should just go up to docker, whatever it is, dot com and, and start looking at docker, it. whatever it is, dot com. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, I've definitely got the link right there in my head. So, um, but I mean, th- it's really, really cool stuff. And it's a shame that it doesn't work on Windows in terms of how. Wait, like, but it does. And it is Docker.com. Uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. It doesn't. So only for 2016 Windows Server. Oh, sorry. Does it exist? There is specific And it has to be Hyper-V yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it, it. I wish, though, I wish that you could run the Linuxy type stuff on Windows. It'd be amazing because then you could just port everything everywhere. But but any which way, it was really cool. But our favorite of the day But that's was what the previous versions of Docker were, though, uh, on Windows. There was the... Um, uh, shoot. Well, hold on, let me find it. The The Docker toolbox, and then the Docker for Windows, and then the Docker engine for Windows. Ooh. And if I recall, Docker toolbox uh, is the, you know, we're going historically, right? So Docker toolbox is the oldest, then Docker for Windows, and then the new thing is Docker engine for Windows. That's the one that you're talking about that would allow you to run a Windows instance, Docker instances uh, on a Windows machine. Yes. The previous two, though, um, if I'm correct, if I recall, were Linux on it? If I remember right, no, that can't be right. No, I think it was a VM with Linux on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to have because because it used um, uh, VirtualBox. It has to use the you, kernel. You had to use VirtualBox in order to have a Linux VM, right? Yep. Yeah, I wish I wish there was a native way to cross. And I'm, I mean, it sounds like it's getting there now, and especially with the uh, Windows subsystem for Linux, maybe yeah. it'll be a possibility. They say they don't support it yet. Yeah, not but, yet. But my guess is it's going to get popular enough to where it will happen. Um, but have you man, tried it yet? Have you tried Windows subsystem for Linux? I haven't installed that version of it yet. Joe, that version wait, of Windows. Nope. You don't have sixteen oh seven yet. You should have it by now. Uh, not on a computer I use. I, well, maybe it's you have on it here. on a computer you don't use. Well, <laughs> no. So, like, my wife's computer has the latest version and all that, but I uh, don't know that I'd do it on this one. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to do it, but man, that'll open up. So, what about you, Joe? Have you tried it? Uh, my computer came with PowerShell, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm set. Uh, well, no, my work computer is not Windows 10, and most of the time I'm not working. I'm using my MacBook, so right. Uh, Although that may be going away. With well, the I guess where beat. I was going with this though was that yeah. uh, you know I, I've been playing around with it and I want to use it more, but I have found some frustrating things not with the Windows subsystem itself, but with other tools sometimes giving me problems and it's hard to track down because it's like these are tools that might work on a real Linux and then I try to bring them onto Windows subsystem for Linux and they start giving me a problem. Mm. So you know I haven't found. The, the the root cause yet, um, but yeah, you because know, like I said, I want to use it for a lot more than I am. Cool. 
But what was our favorite of the day? Okay. I think there's a consensus here. So so here's how this, and I'm going to totally butcher this name. Even though I practiced it, and you guys heard me try to practice this name, I even listened to how someone else said this name just to make sure that I could try to say this name correctly. And I'm still going to butcher it, but here it goes. So what happens is we're going into the last um, session of the day, okay? Now, we've talked about aspect-oriented programming before. I'm a fan. I like it. It's cool, right? I don't know if you've ever done it, it's but if you useful. haven't, you should totally try it. And so the way the the way the session card worked out was like you didn't really see who the speakers were. You just saw titles and descriptions and whatnot. So I'm like, so I saw this one on aspect oriented programming and, and it was specific to PostSharp, and I thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll uh, pick up some some new stuff with it, right? You know, pick up a new thing or you know uh, here or there that I, I didn't already realize about it. So, you know, this is the one I'm going to go to. And uh, I don't know if it was coincidence that Alan was already going to go to that one or if maybe he heard me say that out loud and was like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. I don't remember. But um, at any rate, we ended up being there at the same time. And coincidentally, Alan, or not coincidentally, but Alan got there before I did. And so I walk in and I sit down next to him and I'm kind of like, you know, looking up at the thing. And I'm like, holy, wait a minute. Do you realize who's giving this presentation, Alan? This is the guy who created PostSharp. So here goes me butchering his name. Gail Fratur? Fratur? Fratur. Fratur. I, you know what? I, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I try. It's kryptonite every time. But at any rate, so Gail was the one giving the, the presentation, and it was an amazing presentation. Like, it was already on a topic that I really liked, but I was super stoked to see, uh, you know, him giving the, giving the talk. Yeah, the only problem with the presentation, the dude was super sharp, mm -hmm. and he post was sharp. he was a great yeah post sharp. <laughs> you know what I really liked, by the way, this is just some meta for anybody out there. If you ever go look at their logo, their logo oh, right. looks like a, a like a skewed hashtag almost or a sharp. It came out of the whole idea of cross-cutting concerns. Right. And so that's why the logo looks like it does. I, when he went over that, I was like, that's really cool. I right. love that logo idea. But he was an excellent speaker, but the only problem was he knows his stuff. Oh, right. And he went super deep. And yeah. I'd venture to say two-thirds of the people it in was that so room awesome. were like, I have no idea what I just heard. So I that... I'm with you there. There were a lot of people in that room that didn't know about PostSharp, didn't know about aspect-oriented programming. And so as a result, they were asking some like really basic questions. But, you know, for those of us that already had some of that uh, knowledge under our belt, like we're listening to this and we're like, oh, this is amazing. And so here's the cool thing about this, this talk. And I had never, ever considered using aspect-oriented programming to solve this problem. We've talked in the past about the value of aspect-oriented programming, and uh, I should just call it AOP, yep. um, and using it as a way to, um, like Alan said, you know, uh, get rid of your, your boilerplate cross-cutting concerns, right? So for those that aren't familiar with it, let's say you have some uh, method that you write, and maybe you do null checking a lot, right? And so rather than having... Uh, that null checking as part of the method. Instead, you write an aspect, 
and you decorate the method to say like, hey, check for nulls, and in that way you only have this null checking logic in one place. Or if you do any kind of logging logic, for example, instead of having your method with all the logging baked into it, instead you have a logging aspect, and you all of your logging is done in that one place. Or another example might be maybe you want to have exception handling done uh, in your method, but instead of doing it there, you do it in an aspect. And you know that way your method, the idea is that you leave your method to only contain the business logic that you're trying to solve. And all of that boilerplate stuff, uh, null checking, logging, exception handling, whatever, uh, you know, or retries or things like that, let that be often some other method in an aspect whose one job is to do that one thing, like logging, for example, right? Well, this whole talk that Gail gave was on the idea of you could use aspects to do much more than just uh, cut out the boilerplate. You could use aspects to enforce design patterns so that if you see that something isn't being done, then you could either wrap it into the correct design pattern, if you want, as an example. It was one of the things that he presented. Or you could throw compilation errors or warnings uh, describing like, hey, you're not, it, you're not adhering to the standard, right? And so he gave this one example using the weak event pattern, which, which wasn't a pattern that I was familiar with, right. so I had to go read up on that. Super complex. And um, he, he gave an example using the weak event pattern where you could, at compile time, determine whether or not someone else, someone else's code, if it wasn't adhering to the weak event pattern, that you could uh, throw a compile time error so that the developer would know right then and there, oh, yeah, sorry, I need to go and do this. And that was a concept that I hadn't considered. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I think it went beyond just errors, right? Like, it would even convert kind of at, yeah, that's at what I'm saying, compiler. Like, it doesn't change your code, but the compiled code itself would have flipped that into a pattern that wouldn't have caused the memory leaks. And that was the part that was like, Holy smoke! Yeah, you like I said, you could do it either. You could either enforce the pattern, yep. uh, and, and you know, and to modify it, or you could just uh, throw the the compilation error to let the developer know that hey, um, you need to do implement this pattern. So either you do it for them, or you uh, you tell them that they should do it. So the idea was that you know you have your your senior level developers, let them focus on writing aspects and enforcing these like more global. Uh, concepts within your environment and it was it was something that like i never really thought about using aspects for and so it was a really awesome talk and it really opened my mind up to a whole new idea of like how i could use aspects in my code yep super, so i, super I really like that um yeah and and, and was from oh sorry oh sorry no go ahead what'd you say uh it's kind of odd, right? i was just saying uh gail's from Prague, so it's pretty exciting you guys got to see him yeah, uh, Czech Republic, I believe, was what he said. Well, Prague. he lives in Prague. Um, okay, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was. Is yeah, it whatever. Prague in the Czech? Uh, man, I'm sorry, I'm I'm American, but no, he's they in may Czech Republic, the same place. I don't know. Prague you is know the what? capital of Czech. There you go. This is where <laughs> Prague 2016 Best of Prague Czech oh my Republic God. Tourism Trip Advisor. See, this is this Done. is America, 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 America. Uh, so I'm yeah. So up. not only do we not know stuff like that, but we're actually we like get high fives for not knowing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
which is, I guess, going to be a nice segue into, hey, guess what? The next conference was, was Connect Tech. And so, you know, the previous week, I have this great opportunity where I uh, get to meet Gail, which, by the way, you know, we talked with him afterwards. He was super, uh, super nice, super approachable guy. And as if that wasn't cool enough, then I meet Matt Groves at Connect Tech, who was giving a uh, talk there called uh, I Have a NoSQL Toaster. And um, for those not familiar, Matt Groves is the author of AOP in.net, which is a book we have referenced before. So I really felt like back-to-back AOP guys at conferences, like my code is trying to tell me something. <laughs> so, but that was super cool uh, getting to meet uh, both of those guys. And then here was another cool thing that happened at Connect Tech. So, uh, you know, sitting there, one of the, the sessions, one of our listeners comes up, James Majors. He was giving a talk at Connect Tech on functional programming in Swift. So I got to, I got to see that um, session as well, and it was, it was really awesome. He, uh, one of my favorite um, quotes or, you know, concepts that he had said was, you know, he was talking about the concept that as software developers, we tend to be very cyclic in that, you know, whatever the, the current thing is, that everything needs to be that way, right? And so he said, you know, let's, let's take it into a different context. Let's say that you were a carpenter. Then the tools of your trade would be a hammer, a screwdriver, and a saw. And if you were a carpenter, you would never, ever tell other carpenters, hey, guys, you know what, man, saws are the thing. They are awesome. You know what, I'm not going to use hammers and screwdrivers anymore. It's saws from here on out, right? As a carpenter, you would not do that. But yet, as software developers, we get into these patterns where we'll say, oh, you know what, functional, all the things. Everything should be functional. That's all I'm going to write from now on. Or, you know what? No, I don't like functional anymore. I'm going back to uh, you know regular, normal, object, uh, prog- object-oriented programming, and we're going to go from there. Oh, man, that didn't work out too well either. Too many inheritance problems. I'm going to just composition, composition all the way, you know. And, and the point that he was making is that sometimes, you know, you, we got to stop that. Like, we can't, we can't say it's going to be all or nothing in one thing, right? And it was kind of to... Um, a, a, I guess a saying, I think this is a thing, um, I've definitely heard you say it recently, where if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, yeah. right? And it's kind of, you know, that's kind of the p- same point that he was making is that, you know, people that, some people get into functional programming as an example, and they want to do it for everything, and then that's not necessarily uh, the right thing. Like, and an example that he gave was like, okay, you could... You could get away. You could actually do some functional programming, UI programming. It would be horrible, huh. right? Um, no state, recreate everything. Yeah, it's not going to work. Like, well. like, well, because because one of the whole tenets about functional programming, though, right, is you're not modifying any, you're not mutating any external state, right? You're just given, you're given some inputs and you give an output, right? But in order to draw stuff on the screen, you're definitely mutating something, right? Yep. Uh, so that's kind of the point, you know. But it, it was a really good talk, though. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I wish that I could have made Connect Tech. That was another two days I, I had too much going on, but that would have been an awesome one to go to. 
Um, so what do we got next? Oh, and then on uh, episode 47, you know, there was that whole um, conversation that we got lost into, mostly because I'm going to blame this on Joe for him not being there to stop us. But uh, there was that uh, topic that I had brought up about, you know, iOS and Android and how they're all kind of the same and like, you know, everything that you could do on Android, you could do on iOS. So who cares, right? And um, except press an escape key. And oh. now, um, but but I think that uh, Lynn McRae actually reworded what I was trying to say so much better than what I actually ended up saying. Um, and he said that, you know, because I think the way I said it was that iOS was a better Android than Android is yeah, or something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. And, and he was saying that, well, maybe a better phrasing might be that the Google ecosystem is best on an iPhone uh, because, you know, my discussion was focusing on the apps and Android alone offers more than just apps, which is which is a fair point. And and I think that I think his wording rewording of my point is a lot better than the way I said it. Although one of our friends just shared with us a link today on the new Xiaomi Mi Mix. Oh yeah, I saw Bezel-less that. Bezel-less phone. Oh like, yeah. Oh man, that was drool worthy. That thing. That is, is gorgeous. It, it actually made me rethink this whole that whole topic because then I was thinking like, okay, fine, the ecosystem on iOS I like better. Yeah. And and I like, I feel like the security is better. Yeah. On iOS, you know, the bounty, the bug bounties are higher on iOS. You know, it, it's, um, you know, because the difficulty is so much higher. So that makes me feel like it's more secure. Now, whether that's a false sense of security, we'll never know, because the NSA will never tell. Um, but from the hardware point of view that you're bringing up, the hardware options are so, there's so many more out there. And it's not that they're better necessarily. It's just that because there's more than one vendor iterating on ideas, then you get a lot more spaghetti thrown against the wall there's to see options, what's going to stick. Right? Like, yeah, LG failed with their most recent one where it was pluggable components <laughs> and stuff. Like, it didn't really take off. But, yeah, there's there's ideas, right? Yeah, so, I think there was a more noticeable recent fail than LG, but sure. Yeah. So, but that, I mean, that we won't mention blowing up phones. Yeah, that was pretty cool stuff. <laughs> um, and we'll put that in the show notes. That's just for fun. Um, what else we got? Oh, hey, so so we mention our Slack channel all the time. And you Joe, should totally join. You you t- you should. And where can you do that? Does anybody know? Codingblocks.net slash Slack. Totally. And there is a channel in there that I know I'm I'm definitely in it. I think you found out about it the last episode that I made this. Oh uh, yeah. And yeah, Joe, yeah, yeah. I know you're in there all the time. And it's one of those things where we're just kind of trying to pump people up to to do things on their own, right? Like like we've done the coding blocks thing, and. And I think we're going to make this a regular part of our show now. Just, you know, bring up people that are doing some really cool stuff. And most recently, Zach Brady, he has got the reactionary.net, which... Wouldn't it be Brady? Brady. B-R-A-D-D-Y. Yep. And he he does a lot of React things. And I've read a couple of his articles, and I really like his writing style. It's entertaining and informative. Um, and Joe, you want to share a couple of them? Yeah, um, James Thadart uh, has got cynicaldeveloper.com. We mentioned his uh, interview with Hello Tech Pros a while back, um, and now he's got his own podcast. So he went out and bought a mic and did it, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more of those. I've got a little preview before it was released, and so I'm looking forward to that. And thanks uh, to James. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
No, all good. Uh, although I did want to mention um, before I forget um, the hashtag I made this. Uh, I didn't actually make the channel. I don't know who did, but um, I don't go there to inspire people. I go there to get inspired. <laughs> so a little bit backwards there, um, but it's been really good. I, well, I wanted to say thanks to James. We uh, now all know about Tiggers and Eeyore, Eeyores That's uh, right. due to his uh, Hello Tech uh, podcast interview. Yep. So that's now a thing that we can all be uh, aware of. Yep. Yep. And, and I must say that life. dude really knows his onions. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and, yep, and uh go ahead go ahead well we got paul seal also and he's coming there and the one that he hooked me on was the one about if you open up chrome chrome if you open it <laughs> if you open up chrome if there's no connection and you open I up i don't know chrome, why that's so funny I, man i don't know but if you're if you're in offline mode and you open up chrome and you hit like the arrow key then you can play a game and I watched his little video on that, but he also happens to have more useful stuff that's like code related. Oh, and and his is uh, codeshare.co.uk. <laughs> so apparently, like every one of these guys, I think is uh, is Paul or not is uh, Zach in the UK too? Uh, he's in one of those countries. Yeah, all three of those guys are um, in that <laughs> the other. Well, we know continent. how well we are at geography, so <laughs> I think let's see. I know which there's some Wales in there. Somebody's yeah. in the UK. Somebody's in Wales. I think that's all close to Italy, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I think Wales might be in Sicily, which is not in Italy. Something oh, like that. Oh, right. Like, you can see where we're coming from. That's in Americans. Egypt, right? Sorry. Well, Egypt. Well, what I'm getting at is all those folks across the pond there seem to be a little bit more motivated. So we, we need to get some folks in here and doing some I made this. And I so. feel like they probably know the geography better than we do. Probably. Um, so what else we got? Oh, we got some really cool news. Anybody? Want to talk about the giveaway? Yeah, let's All do right. that. So, uh, as you know, we are doing our Clean Code series, and so this tonight will be the third part of that series. And first two parts, we were having a drawing. So, uh, as we said last episode, tonight we will be uh, announcing the winners for from episode 47. And episode 48, you'll be announced next episode. And the idea is you go to the show notes, leave us a comment, and enter for your chance to win. So for episode 47, the winners are, drumroll please. You know what? I'm sorry I asked. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know just what? blew some speakers out and some cards. <laughs> Binary Nexus wanted a joke, and he just got it. That was hilarious. <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. Um uh, that wasn't really the joke I was going to give later, but <laughs> it's actually not a bad one. Uh, <laughs> so, Mike, you're a winner. That's going to be fun getting a bunch of... Congratulations, you already have the book. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, we're going to have to track him down. So, all of these, we're going we're gonna, to uh, reach out to you uh, via your Discuss uh, credentials. So, uh, unfortunately, these weren't like the most... Uh, identifiable names necessarily, but Mike was one of the winners, Hussein and Mr. SC. Yep. So congratulations. Each one of you guys will get a copy of Clean Code. And when we reach out to you, we'll ask whether you want Kindle or paperback. And that's pretty much it. So again, in the next one, we'll there was, do another giveaway. There was something about a poem. 
though. Oh yeah, totally. So I wanted to call this out. I'm actually sad. I wish I could have like you know bent the rules and, and given this guy one. So Matthew Watkins, man, he wrote us a poem up on there, and it was absolutely fantastic. It harkened back to the days of our initial giveaway. <laughs> I don't even remember what episode that was. Uh, oh, it wasn't in part of 47 then? Uh, well, no. So it is. It is in episode 47. Let me see. Codingblocks.net. So prepared. So incredibly prepared. <laughs> I like that uh, Mr. SC, who was one of the winners, in his comment, he said, Hello from Wales, UK. Delivery all the way here is going to cost quite a bit. <laughs> like, oh, is it crap, too late to, to undo that? <laughs> yeah, is it too late? Sorry. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here to redo the winners. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, while Alan is trying to find this poem that I would love to hear, I probably already read it. I just don't remember it. But uh, I just want to go over the giveaway rules for this episode. So you will go to www.codingblocks.net/slash episode 49 and at the bottom of the page there you will see our comment section you can leave us a comment and that will enter you in for the drawing and this episode is going to be a little bit different than the previous episodes and here's why because remember when i mentioned gail whose last name i can't pronounce well he happened to hook me up with some post sharp ultimate licenses so here's what we're going to do. We're going to spread those out across some of the episodes. Um, but how many how many things are we giving away in this episode 49? One? Just one. Just yeah. one? Okay. Yeah. So there's going to be l- one lucky winner for episode 49. I think that was the way it was for 48, too. One lucky winner for 48. One lucky winner for episode 49. But when you enter for 49, and if you should be the lucky winner... We will contact you and ask you if you want your choice of a copy of Clean Code or a copy of or a license for PostSharp Ultimate. Yep. And it's your choice, uh, which one you want. I believe PostSharp Ultimate, it's a uh, perpetual license, but it comes with a year of support. So any, um, if I recall, any upgrades you know, or fixes or whatnot that come out throughout that year then uh, you get those as well. And so I feel like that's really double clean code because PostSharp can clean your code. So you either get a copy of clean code or you get something that cleans your code. Yep. All right, and I did find... Oh, and by the way, just for you guys that that want to know, PostSharp Ultimate, if you want to take a stab at it, it's $669 per developer. This is not a little tiny piece of software that you may never use. Like, if you actually get it, it could be useful if you write some C-sharp code and Visual Studio is your IDE of choice. So it is a pretty incredible value and a huge thanks to Gail for providing those. So I kind of feel like, do you want to, when we read this poem, maybe each one of us should read a paragraph of it. We can do that. Or, or I guess, more specifically, a verse. All right, so here... I'll well, that assumes that Joe has found it or seen it. I have not. I need a link. Okay, it's on episode 47, and then just go down, and you'll have to hit load more. <laughs> All right, so, that's ridiculous. So by, by the time you All get right, we'll just we'll just we we'll just... Let's just go back and forth, because you, you and I are already there, though. All right, no, no, I'm in this, man. Oh, you got it? All right, so... You already found it? You need to find it. Right, I'm going to kick it off right I'll, here. I'll go second. All right, there once was some code in great need. It was messy and so hard to read. 
To see such spaghetti would make you get sweaty so bad it made FX cop bleed. <laughs> but Alan, Michael, and Joe announced last week on their show, you don't have to ditch it, you just have to fix it and start building afresh with clean code. So I said to myself, that is that. This book must be where it's at. I'll submit to their site and maybe they might just pull my name from their hat. Dude, that is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Somebody grew up on a whole lot of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Man, Can we just send them a book? I'm thinking I just, about it. I, I think I think that Alan should totally just, you know, come hey. out of pocket here and drop drop a little bit of money here to <laughs> you send know what, this Matthew? guy a book. Because you took the time to do this, you get one too, man. That's that's it. Like that's that made my day when I read that. So, I mean, anybody who can convince us to break out into verse on air, <laughs> I feel like that's worthy. Yeah, that that was killer. So, um, four copies given away this time. We can bend the rules; they're our own. So, uh, it, my kids do it all the time. So, congratulations, guys. We hope that you find this book as interesting and useful in your life as Joe certainly has. Yes. All right, so with that, now it's time to get into the show. I mean, I know we're running a little bit long. There was a lot of news this time, but, you know. No, I'm done, man. You guys kidding me? <laughs> All right, that's the end. Uh, well, cue, yeah. cue exit music. Uh, right. No, so in this one, we're, as we've done in the pre- previous, we're just going to do one chapter because apparently we're not slow or we're not fast at any one given thing. So um, in this one, we're going to talk about comments in clean code, which is chapter four. Yes. Yes, chapter four. Yes. All right. Oh, I'm stuck. Joe, kick us off, man. All right. So I like how he starts off uh, with a quote here talking about, uh, at best, comments are a necessary evil. And I couldn't agree more. Um, they're often wrong. Um, they they never get updated, which contributes to them often being wrong. A lot of times they're just bad. Um, and so I don't really trust them anyway. A lot of times it's just old code that I uh, just can get confused about and get, you know, it, it's weird. You ever do one of those things where you're like searching and replacing for some code and fixing stuff up and you find commented code, commented out code, but you don't want to change it because you're not testing it, right? So you don't want the next person to come along and uncomment it. <laughs> but you also don't want to not change it because, you know, that's what you're doing right now. So uh, the only solution is just to snip it out, right? Well, yeah. I mean, there was actually a, a great quote in here that I wanted to say that starts it off where it was, that nothing can clutter up a module more frivolous than dogmatic uh, comments, and nothing can be quite so damaging as an old crufty comment that propagates lies and misinformation. Yeah, totally. And you know what's funny? You know who sort of, sort of convinced me of this whole thing was my boy that I beat in the race, Will. Oh my god! <laughs> um, you won't let lost. him down, will you? <laughs> How many years ago was that? <laughs> you think you could pull it off a second time? Uh, absolutely. Oh my god! Oh, um, so. We had a conversation about some code one time because there was a method that I'll never forget that was that was there and it was so complicated and it was one of those things where I just had to learn what this thing was doing right and I had spent you know I don't know how many hours just trying to really internalize what it was doing and you didn't refactor it did you I didn't refactor (laughs) it because I was scared to death of it to be honest with you because it the code was so intertwined and nested with everything else. We should have a conversation on TDD. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would probably change things. So it, it was one of those things where I was like, you know what? I'm going to put the notes at the top so that I can save somebody else two or three hours of their life, right? And he's like, no, totally. We should never do that. And I was like, what? Like, you're crazy. And he's like, no, dude. If it doesn't identify what it does by being able to read that method, then you shouldn't put comments on it. And I was like... 
I, I disagree. I, yeah. I can't rewrite this code. <laughs> like, not not and feel good about it, right? Like, I, I would have been nervous. Because you were scared. I was scared. Yep. And I didn't I didn't want to do it. Like This I, is one of those few times where we can get Alan to actually admit he was scared about something, so we can't live this down, Joe. Yeah, Alan was man, scared. I, I didn't want to do it. And, and he actually convinced me. He's like, look, dude, unless it's a public API, you really shouldn't be commenting those methods. Now, okay, we'll come back to the public API because I actually take issue with that. But okay. um, I, I will say this, though, and, and this is kind of going along the same lines of where he he was thinking with this, which is uh, a quote from the book. One of my favorites is that comments are always failures. Yeah, it's it's to compensate for our failure to express ourselves in code. Yeah. And that is true. That I mean, it really is. If you name your method properly and if your method reads well, you don't need to comment it. Like that's it. It's it's simple, but what do you do with legacy code? <laughs> you write yeah. some unit tests to verify that it works, and then you go. With yeah, right. Good luck writing unit tests with most <laughs> legacy code. <laughs> I mean, you I mean, it, I'm not saying they have some dependencies baked in there that make it a little difficult. Well, you brought it up on the last episode, Joe. Remember, you were talking about the fact that you went to try and break something apart, and because there were so many parameters and so many things that were nested, like. Yep. Well, I mean, the three of us have wor- have absolutely worked in frameworks in the past where, well, I say frameworks, but I, I mean like, you know, large code bases where it was um, dated patterns that were followed at the time that uh, had dependencies so intertwined and baked in that to write a unit test for it was Impossible. They were I mean, all integration tests. Every one of them. You couldn't. You yeah. I mean, like new code that we were able to introduce. Sure, we could write some unit tests for that, and they could be beautiful. And you know, like angels would sing every time you'd open them. <laughs> you know, they were beautiful. You know, little rays of sunshine would shine down on you anytime you even ran them. But the old code, yeah, no way. You couldn't stayed away it. from it. And that's the sad part. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like that they said is comments should be updated as code is updated, but the better use of time would be to make the code better itself. So you don't even need the comments, right? Yeah, I say just delete the code. Or, I mean, the comment. Because the code changes and evolves. Yes. And the comments will get separated away from the code that it can often get separated away from the code they describe. So I'm not talking about you have some uh, function... Uh, you know, some summary documentation at the, at the top of your function to describe what the function does... I'm saying, that for example, in the body of the function, you have some kind of comment describing what's going to happen, then it's quite possible that that comment can get, as someone else refactors or adds functionality, now suddenly that comment isn't next to the block of code it's trying to describe. And then as that block of code evolves over time, that comment might not even be relevant anymore. And so now it's just, it goes back to the previous quote you know, from the beginning. It's misinformation. It's a lie. I hate comments and code. Which, I like. Hey, going back to uh, as our as our friends on the other side of the pond would call it, university. Um, I mean, I remember that being a big thing that that um, professors would would comment on. Oh, yeah. Like not to use the word comment <laughs> uh, as pun. Tell you to comment your code, right? Yeah, I mean they they were actually. I remember you know that being a thing that they wanted to see comments in your code so that they could see what you're trying to do and whatnot and. You know, here's a here's a very well known, very well respected book by some extremely well respected authors that are saying like, yeah, no, man, don't don't even bother, don't waste your time, you're crap. Yeah, I had a, a professor that would actually say, um, you know, basically write the stuff out in like comments first, like what you want to do, the steps, and then go in, fill the code, and leave the comments 
And then you're done. You've already written the comments. Great, right? Yeah. I, that I, feels like the old way that you would write like a, a paper for, you know, your your lit class or something. Your right? intro, your summary, and your body type. Thing. Right. Go ahead yeah. and write your outline first. Yeah. And then that way, you know, once you write the outline, then you know what you're trying to write. But Yeah. I mean, we touched on it a second ago. The worst part is, like he said, it, so it might be bad that comments become irrelevant as the code changes. But the worst is when it's not irrelevant, it's misleading. Right. So that comment that stayed there, instead of it actually providing something or really just being wasted space, it makes people think that something else is happening because you read that comment and the code changed, but that comment didn't. And now, and now the people assume something that is incorrect. And that is, that is probably the worst problem that can come about with that. Yeah, the, uh, the book makes a point to say that the older the comment is, the more likely it will just be plain wrong. So if yep. you have a comment that's in there for like years, yep. It's you ever see something where like the comments, like uh, you know, there's a comment on the function. The com- the function's like 300 lines long, right? And so you make some little change in it, and then like later someone says, "Hey, didn't you read the comment? It says you need to add it in five more places." And you're like, "Oh right." No, I was down here I feel on like line that's number two hundred. Horrible pattern already. <laughs> yeah, if and, you have and a function, if you have a things. documentation or a comment in your in your code saying, "Hey, if you add something here, you got to add it other places," but. Um, this is kind of to Alan's point, though. Um, inaccurate comments are far worse than no comment at all, right? So that misinformation puts the de- the developer in the wrong frame of mind, and it's worse than if they didn't have a comment at all and they were forced to read and interpret the code. Hey, I do have a question for you, Joe. Though, so you just brought up a very a very valid thing. So first, we know it's a bad pattern. If you got to change something in one place, you have to change it in five, right? Because that just speaks of copy and paste and a nightmare. What what do you do? So if if you see that and they say, "Hey, you missed that comment." What what tell me, what what's the path there? Boy Scout rule. Um and it is that's one of those things that's stuff. I mean, if you can extract that out to a common class that's used in multiple spots, then that's kind of uh, you know, one good first step. But a lot of times you can't. The reason that thing is copy pasted five times is because, you know, there's already some other problem that's kind of deeper going on. And so it's probably not an easy refactor. Um, so you just got to do whatever little things you can until, you know, until one day there's hope. So if, so w- what's the alternative though? So let's say that you, you refactor and you do what you can up to that point. Is a comment not good enough to say, Hey, go check these files. I, is, no. is it the wrong thing to do? Is it? No, because here's the thing. And this, this kind of goes back to your previous, uh, story that you were talking about with you and, and, uh, I think it was Will. Yeah. Where, you know, because in your mindset, you're saying like, okay, we know that this is a mess, right? I know that this is a mess. And so because this is a mess, I'm, I, my mindset is I should comment that so right. that others know. But instead, what you should really be saying to yourself is, oh, this is a meth, a mess, a meth. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. Croom and meth. <laughs> it could be. That, yeah. So, but instead, you should be saying to yourself, "Okay, I see that this is a mess. I should clean it up, right? And just take the hit." That's always one of those tough ones too, because you've always got to balance what um, the customer needs or what your boss is saying time-wise that you've got to do something, right? right? And so, the cleanup, literally, like if it took you two or three hours to figure out what was happening in a method, which should not ever happen, but does a lot. If it takes you that long to figure it out. 
how much more time can you spend doing that if you really were only trying to find a bug in the system, right? And so, and so now a ticket that was supposed to be, you know, a, a, maybe a two-hour turnaround, now you're talking about it could take a day or two after you start testing and making sure that everything's fitting. Like, it's, it is one of those very difficult decisions, and you as a programmer need to know how to balance properly, and that's, that's a really hard one. Sometimes, sometimes you just need to... Um, at least from my own experience, when I've hit situations like this, and I know that because of deadlines, I can't um, do something about it right now. But what I can do right now is I can create a ticket so that myself or someone else can be assigned to come back to it. Yeah, to that's clean a good up. point. That's and that way, you know, managers and whatnot, they can see, hey, here's some technical debt that needs to be, we, we already own it. We need to manage it, right? Do you comment? You got to pay it off. But do you comment the code at that point? Because here's the thing: <clears throat> if you walk away from it, there's two things that are going to happen. And th- I'm curious what you guys think about this, right? I don't comment it. I'll go so, ahead and tell you. Well, so here's here's the way I look at it: if you, it, so let's say you create the ticket. I agree that's the right thing to do because that's saying we know there's a problem. We need to address it. But the problem is, you go off and you work on some other stuff, and a month later you come back. You've got to relearn everything that you learned that last time, right? You're going to have to do that anyways. And here's and here this is the reason why I say I don't comment it is and and this is another quote from the book is that programmers cannot realistically maintain the comments, okay? So if I add a comment there and I don't come back to that piece of code for a month or two months or however long it is, right? How do I know that other changes haven't been introduced that totally undo whatever my comment was? My comment to myself could be totally irrelevant or wrong, or misinformation, or whatever. It could be a complete lie by the time I get back to it. So what's the point? Well, sometimes you want to use misinformation to your advantage. Like a lot of times, if I see some messy code, not you know, I'm not able to deal with it at the time, what I'll do is I'll put a to-do in there, and I'll say, clean this crap up, period. And in parentheses, I'll say, you know, by the way, don't bother looking this up in source control. It was written by outlaw. Yeah, and, and that's when, like, you know, I'll it. see a comment about, like, oh, yeah, I cleaned up Outlaw stuff, and then I'm going to be like, wait, what? Yep, and hopefully Outlaw will come across it first and actually fix it because he's embarrassed right. <laughs> about the thing he didn't do. Yep. So you just make sure you include people on the pull request is what you're saying. Yep. <laughs> uh, interesting. Tough crowd. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get it. I, I'm I'm on the fence on whether whether it should be commented or not. And I do agree that sometimes you have to come back, you have to relearn it anyways, because you don't know what changed. But, um, yeah. One of the other quotes in here that I really liked was, the only good comment is the one you found a way not to write. <laughs> and that's, man, that's that sums it up. That's so valid. If you figure out and you think about, how can I write this method name? How can I write this class name how can i write the body of the method in a way that people can just look at and understand well it goes to the whole the whole point of this chapter in this book is to be able to explain yourself in code so if you can explain yourself in code and you don't need to write that comment then it's easier for everyone to understand and maintain that code long term yep sometimes the the comments that i write are for um like for reasons behind things like I'll, I'll be doing a code wars problem with something and, and rather than doing like four I equals zero, I'll do something weird like four I equals two because there's some items in the list that I know I, I don't care about. And so in that case, you know, I, I guess the right answer would be to create a variable called, you know, 
array starting point and then for i equals array starting point or something like that or values that I care about starting index. And some so some better way of saying um, what I would say in comment, which is starting here because of this. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that take on it. And you could even name your variables in a way that they're obvious, right? Like, you know, skip X number of, and then that's your starting point for your loop. Yeah, that's yep. that's interesting. I did I did like one of the things that they say. Get, can either one of you tell me when there is a good time to have a comment? Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, no. Copyright and licensing. No, you're wrong. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, back in the day, you used to see file after file and have the license at the top, and even sometimes you'd have like the the names of people who made the change and what they changed. I f- like, look. hey, Bob was here. See, I feel like <laughs> this is even. I feel like this is no longer even the way it's done anymore. Now the license is in a separate file. It's just in the code base, and that's the better way. Yeah. So don't have the license buried, you know, the license header buried in every file because that was so. And like you, we've all seen code where you had to like skip the first twenty five lines because you know it's the Apache license declaration. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Apache's really want you to know about it. Well, you guys yep. remember the subversion days where it would throw the last modified by comments at the top of the file and like oh, that's that right, stuff. it would do it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah hate, totally. Um, hate that and. I think, you know what, though, I honestly think that was a sign of the times where the tools weren't as good, right? Like, now you can go into, like, if you're using GitHub, for instance, you can go in there and, and easily look at the history of everything, right? And so maybe maybe it was just a sign of the times. I, I don't know, but... Well. Yeah, mo- most comments are going to be bad comments that are crutches or excuses for poor code or justifications for indefi- insufficient decisions. Oh yeah, I do I that thought, one. I thought that one was a pretty good yeah. comment. You know where I'm a justifier. Quote. You know where I do use comments and and I would uh, actually Can I answer for you? Sure. I was going to say the mumbling. The mumbling. <laughs> yeah, cuz like one of the one of the topics was on mumbling, you know, having comments that are, you know, plopping in a comment just because you feel that you should or because the process requires it or it's a ha- you know, because it's a hack. And I've definitely ran across a couple times where I'm like Oh, Alan wrote that. <laughs> I don't know why this is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely have some of those in there. And I usually do it for comic relief half the time. Um, they're probably not useful at all. But no, where <laughs> I actually do use comments is, and I'll go to SQL. When I write a stored proc, typically what I'll do at the top of it, the comment isn't about the proc per se, but I'll have in comments like usage examples. So mm. if you want to test the proc, you can just, you know, highlight this text right here and run it. Um, Assuming that the proc doesn't change or so the variables it, passed in don't right, change. If it does change, then it could break it. But the thing is, a lot of times you need to be able to have a use case that you can go up and test easily. And it's not like you have unit tests for SQL Server. Or right. if there are, I'm not aware of it. Well, going back to Joe's point, though, uh, with his for loop example of for i equals 2, where he wants to skip something, uh, the book refers to that type of comment as an amplification comment. So they say a, a comment may be used to amplify the importance of something that may otherwise seem inconsequential. Okay, yeah. Oh, uh, I actually did that today on a couple spots. There was a place where um, I was copying and pasting, but it, it was a, a case where I was kind of <laughs> doing... Um, it, it's not... I wasn't copying and pasting code He tried to say it under his another. breath like we wouldn't catch it. <laughs> no, it was actually SQL. And, and SQL... Oh, that makes it better then. Yeah, there's no modularity in SQL. Give me a break. But uh, <laughs> it's very little and it's very poor. 
But uh, what I'm doing is basically doing a big case statement, right? And because there's no freaking dynamic sorting in the SQL Server or any other SQL that I'm aware of for no good reason that I'm aware of. Uh, I was, you know, copying and pasting like 10, 15 lines and you kind of paste the column names in because you have to. There's no other way except for dynamic SQL, which I will shoot you if you, you know, do too much of that. Um, you, you have to justify. If, if I see dynamic SQL, there better be a comment up there telling me why you're doing it. Uh, but anyway, point is, um, so I, I did some stuff and it was copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Oh, but two of these were different for whatever reason. And so I put some comments off to the side saying, this is not a typo. This is this is intentional. Yeah, that makes sense. If you if somebody sees a pattern and all of a sudden there's a, a wrench in that pattern, that makes sense. But again, if somebody goes in and updates that code later, then those might you know who who knows what could happen. It, it's a frustrating thing, really. I, I don't actually see it in our show notes here, but so the API thing before we kind of get towards the end of this, public APIs. I actually feel like there should be oh, some. That was coming up. There should be some level of commenting on them, if nothing else, for tools like JS Doc, or, or not JS Doc, uh, Java Docs, and that kind of stuff. To where, like, even we work in the ext.js framework, for better or for worse, but they auto-generate their documentation based off the comments and the code, which is an interesting way to create full-blown documentation for an API. Assuming right? it's valuable comments that aren't lying yeah but i mean that's really important like uh the javascript there's the slice and the splice and the articles are are the uh, arguments are almost the same for these guys they operate on arrays and the only way you know what one does and versus the other is basically because the comments one says returns a copy of the array the other says it returns the modified array and that's important information and i don't know any other way to, to get that without looking at the source code and good luck finding that right so there was a section here in this book that I guess we're, we're kind of already getting on, so I'll, I'll go ahead and bring it up, which was you know, um, Java doc in, Java docs in non-public code, and they were saying, like, you shouldn't do it. It's just it's no value. I agree. I so disagree. Because really? what are we... Well, and here's the reason. And because what are we calling public? Okay? Because, okay, we're in a C-sharp world, right? And maybe... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember how it's been a while since I've worked in any with any Java packaging, so I, I don't remember how that works with the docs. But in a C sharp world, if I package something up as a NuGet package, you don't have the source, right? So your only ability as you're in the de- developer as a developer in the IDE, your only ability to like see some of those things is to when you like uh, you know dot and then a bunch of stuff comes up. You know that that. Um, IntelliSense documentation that is presented to you while you're typing, or even if you were to hover over something and read, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's what that thing does. Um, and that's just staying within the IDE, right? Those are those are extremely valuable, and you're only going to get that documentation if you uh, provide the XML feed with the XML document with your uh, NuGet package. Now, you could say. Well, Michael, you don't have to put that in the summary documentation of the of the class or method or property or whatever. And you're correct. Technically, you could just you know manually write the XML if you wanted to. But the easy way to do it is to write your summary documentation in with your code and then uh, use tools that can extract that, much like you were talking about with um, the oh, JavaScript no. frameworks. There, are, you know, you could use a tool to extract that XML. At compilation time, 
even Visual Studio, actually, if I remember right, will spit out the um, uh, yeah, Visual it Studio will, will spit out the XML, XML for yeah. you when it does the compilation if you have anything in your summary documentation. So, uh, you know, that that's extremely valuable, right? And that doesn't have to be something that you publicly outside of your company or your user base distribute. So if you're drawing the line at public as, you know, people you don't know using your thing, right? Like, I, t I take issue with that one. But even, um, you know, IntelliSense is great. It'll show you the, the, the Javadoc stuck there for internals or something. So if you're working, it's nice to be able to see, like, as you're typing the method, like, here's descriptions of what the arguments should be, and here's what the return is. Only if you provide the summary documentation. Yep. So here's the thing, I, and I think, yeah, there is a distinction. So I guess when he was saying internal, and probably the same way I was following. Well, he's I, a public. I agree with what you're saying. So I don't necessarily think it's internal versus public. I think it's more what is a package that you use in your application versus your internal application. So Well, that's what I'm saying. You have to define public. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. If it's something, that uh, uh, a package or some sort of component that you've bundled, that people are going to use, I do think you document those it, with comments or whatever, however you can generate the documentation because that's not something internal to your application. That's something that you're interfacing with, right? It's almost like a third-party component even though it's internal. Now, here's, here's okay, so, so basically if I could restate what you're saying then is that there are times when you should uh, write that documentation and times that you shouldn't. But how do you differentiate between when you should and when you shouldn't? And the reason why I say that is because there have been times where in, in code bases that even we, the three of us have worked in collectively where uh, there's been some project and we're like, oh, you know what? This thing has kind of grown into its own thing and we'd like to be able to use it elsewhere. We should make it its own package. But dang, there's no summary documentation on it. So if we do that, you're not going to be able to like look at it and immediately know like, oh, this is what this does. And oh, by the way, the guy who originally authored it is no longer here. So now we got to go and take the time to figure out what all this stuff is doing and then add the summary documentation in. Like that's a huge hassle. Whereas if it had been done at the time, right? Yeah. Then that summary documentation could have easily uh, been usable when it was put into a package. So yeah, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of inline comments with inside the method, but header documentation for methods, I am a fan of, right? Like, like, you know, whatever you want to call that, summary that's, documentation that's for C sharp what or Will and I had uh, kind of had the debate on was the header documentation. He's like, no, and and I think I agree. Just from the fact that well, I'm not saying explain it because it's unreadable though. Right, right. I'm no. talking about a, I'm talking about just giving a short description of it so that when you package he said it not up, even that he said yeah, not I, even disagree. That. I disagree. I disagree. And that. so here's the thing: I actually kind of do agree. with Only that. if it's valuable though. That's another thing too: is that it has to be. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, but I'm talking about like you don't necessarily have to go overboard and do it on every little thing. Although I'm probably pretty bad about that, but. You know, you can definitely see, like, these are the times where it needs to be done. Like, if you have a two-string method on your class, for example, you don't need that, right? You can skip that. We all know what a two-string is going to do. But if you have some other function that's going to be, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, even though you might have a great title on it, a great name on it, uh, you know, you might want to have some do summary documentation in there to just make it available. And then um, here's another great option, too. 
And, and I know I totally cut you off, and I'm sorry. Um, but uh, there's tools out there. Um, okay, so, you know, GitHub is a big thing. A lot of people use it, right? And GitHub will do this, and so will some other uh, code base, uh, code repository platforms, such as uh, Visual Studio, Team Services will do this thing that I'm about to mention, and I'm pretty sure Bitbucket does it as well, if I remember right. But the idea is that if you have uh, a README, um, like, well, I'm sorry, not even have a README, but just a markdown file, you know, so it could be README.md, but it doesn't have to be. But if you have a, a markdown file in the root of your, of some folder, then GitHub and Visual Studio Team Services, you can actually view that as, uh, it'll, it'll render that markdown for you so that you can see it. So where I'm going with this is if this is something that you're going to make as a package or offer as a package, and you have that summary documentation extracted out, uh, you can, there are converters that can take that summary documentation, throw it into Markdown, and now you include that along with your, uh, your code when you put it up into whatever repository of choice you're using. And now, not only can your users read that documentation uh, through their editor, you know, but you have your API documented that's like, quote, publicly available, which may only be to your company or your team or whatever, but whatever you're, however you define public. And you know what? Um, we should say, uh, actually, Andy Zivik, uh, sorry, Andy, uh, <laughs> said in one of uh, comments on uh, episode 48 that um, we don't mention enough is that um, what we're talking about is basically best practices, and that's not always the right answer for your situation. And so all the stuff needs to be, you know, thought about, and you need to make situation, uh, make, um, decisions that are right for you in your situation. So, um, you know, like even the stuff we talked about, like the application, like I've, I've read the book, I, I agree with 99% of it, but I still do things that they say not to do, um, because All I think time. it's right in my scenario. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. So the one thing I was going to say though, because the, the original question was, so on the internal stuff, what if at some point you decide to break it out? I say you bite the bullet then. Because I am still a fan of keep your code as clean and and as expressive as possible. Like, yeah. And then and then when you can, like, if you can break it out at that point, I know that it's more work at that point in time. But then at least you've probably gotten to a point to where you're like, okay, we know that this part of our our app is a core piece or something that can be reutilized, and it's probably already been shaped and and formed over that period of time, so that now when you go to break it out, you got a pretty good idea that it's now going to sort of stay in that state. And so I think that is probably the better time to comment it. it I'm not saying that's always the case. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, like I'm that. just thinking back like that. There was There was this one specific example, though, where... It was it was a library that was created, and I'm not, it wasn't that the library wasn't expressive uh, in what it did. It was, but there was a lot to it, and um, if you weren't working in it, if you didn't author it, you didn't know all the things that it could do. Whereas, had the documentation already the summary documentation already been there, then you could have used tools to extract that documentation. And not only make it to where you know it could be packaged along in the NuGet package, and used in the IDE, but you know other um, places, uh, you know, like I mentioned in the uh, you know the, the repository, uh, whatever your repository, cho- uh, your hosting uh, server of choice for your repository, could visualize that um, API documentation too to make it to where now your your users can. Uh, explore it a little bit easier, right? 
So, yeah, I mean, it, it like Joe said, there is no one, you, you know, you can't say this is the way it's always, the way you always do it, which right. kind of goes back to the point that James was making in that, uh, you know, speech about hammer all the thing or saw all the things. So right. one thing I did like is they did say a good use of comments is explaining what a regular expression <laughs> does. It is oh, yeah. I've totally done that. And it makes sense because it's not something most people understand. So when it's something kind of cryptic, and there's really no way to make it expressive because by its very nature, it's a bunch of... If you've ever ran across a regular expression with a comment like this, then you'll know it was mine because I'll start it off with something along the lines of, because humans can't read regular expressions. And then, <laughs> and then I will break down each token of the regular expression and what Ooh. I am trying to do. Yep. Oh, man. Ain't nobody <laughs> yeah. got time for that. Yeah, I know, right? I need, just show me a sample. Like, this works. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's it's horrible. I should never do that. But this is one of those places where I break that uh, this rule about the comments, though, because um, in that one example, though, yeah, I mean, even I'll go back and look at regular expressions that I have written, and I'm like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, totally. What was I doing yeah. here? And then it takes me a minute. But yet, if I go ahead and include that that little bit, and, and I'll always I put that in there, you know, because humans can't read regular expressions, because then I know it's, oh, this is mine. I originally wrote this. Okay, this is my explanation of it. And as long as these tokens still match, then I know that this is pretty good. Right. It, it's funny. Like, if you ever do take the time to learn regex, though, like doing replaces and text files, like when you have lists of things, and that man, they become amazing. But it, it really does take yeah, a little Nobody bit. learns regular expressions. I, I did for that reason. No. It flees from <laughs> the learn, mind. We all learn simple <laughs> regular expressions, and we'll think that we're like the gods of programming because we can right. do like these simple things and this still you, until you start getting into like backtracking and replacements and then you're like whoa wait a minute things things are, are going plaid here they're getting so crazy <laughs> and yeah there there are regular expressions out there that uh mortal man cannot write it it took a it took iterations of resharper to say hey you should change this 100 hours of machine learning yeah oh you know i will say though um if there's ever been the perfect case for unit testing, it's got to be regular expressions. Oh, so if totally. you're looking to get a start on your brownfield project and you want to start adding tests and you're not sure where to begin um, and you're a little bit scared, start with some regular expressions. It's a great place to kind of pop into function and it's so easy to test and then you can modify those guys without being too afraid and you can put in all those weird edge cases that you worked around. But you say, my application doesn't have regular expressions. Well, this is your opportunity to add <laughs> some. some. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then, so there was one last point that they hit on here that I thought was interesting, and I can completely see where this is valid, is if you're interfacing with a third-party library that isn't very clear in how it works or it does things that are unexpected, that might be a good place to put a comment because you can't change their code. You can only use their code. But then the problem is if they upgrade the code later and it changes how it works, then now you have a comment that's no longer valid. But you know, Does anyone have an idea on how you could do this in code instead of comments? An aspect, maybe. Okay, I got aspect. Joe? I wasn't paying attention. Okay, <laughs> who wasn't paying attention? My answer was the facade pattern. Oh, yeah, you could. You could write a facade okay. pattern around that uh, third-party library, uh, you know, if it's applicable. Yeah, that and, could work. And then that way you could make your facade more expressive uh, to your need, and then that way you, you know, don't need the comment. 
I've seen some comments sometimes will be like, you know, thirdparty.open. It'll open a connection, do some stuff, and then later it'll be like thirdparty.open. It'll be a comment there that says, I don't know why this closes, you know, reopen. And I appreciate having that comment there because otherwise I might think it was just a mistake. But then, you know, what would you do in that case? Would you create a new function called like reopen so it's more clear and then just do an open in there? It seems kind of noisy. Yeah, that's nasty. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's one of those things that if you come across, you say, um, that was a good comment. How about your <laughs> your facade pattern could manage the state of the openness yeah. or not and and – if it's already closed, then it would just reopen it for your user. That's uh, a great example, though, because that's the kind of garbage where people do feel like they need to put a comment there because they're like, you know, I tried to delete this and it broke everything, so apparently it's doing some crazy stuff behind the scenes that I don't know what it's doing. That's actually a comment that I've probably written before. Yeah, it's crazy Sometimes stuff it just closes scenes. itself. <laughs> right. Well, I think our favorite that we've definitely uh, talked about on the show more than once is like, I don't know how you could ever even get here. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then somebody finally got there after I left. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, all right. And so what was the other one? Oh, to-dos. Yeah, we already covered that, though. What do you feel? You like them? Uh, they're okay. I mean, I don't hate them, but I have definitely seen cases where myself or someone else adds a to-do, and then later myself or someone comes along and does what's in the to-do but the to-do is left, and yeah. so then I later come back, and I'm like, oh, hey, here's this to-do statement, and I'll read the to-do statement, and then I'll read the code below it, and I'm like, oh, wait, it already does that. I think I to-did it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's to-did. That's to-done. <laughs> yeah, I, I do see to-dos that I write all the time. I tend to write a lot of to-dos when I'm first starting uh, to work on something, and I'll kind of come back and search for them and fix them, but sometimes they get left in, so I'll come back you know, a few months later, see a to-do there, and I'm like, huh. <laughs> I don't think this is relevant anymore. I think I can just delete the to-do, but I'm not sure, so I'll just leave it forever. Hey, I got a, I got a way to pose this question to you about comments in, in a way that you guys might not have considered that probably, I don't even know if uh, the author has considered this uh, way of thinking of it. But because um, this book, I believe, later does get into a, cha- a section on test-driven development, and I know that Uncle Bob has definitely have has some strong opinions about uh, test-driven development and testing in general. And one of the tenets of test-driven development is that you write your your test first that fails, and then you write just enough code to make the test pass. You write no more code than it takes to make it pass and no less, right? And then you, you refactor, right? Mm. Now, if you were to take that approach, right, uh, so you write your unit test first, your unit test fails, and then you write just enough code to make the unit test pass. So let's say you had an add function and you have a unit test that says like, hey, if I if I pass in two and three, does it return five? So when you write your, te- your method the first time, you just simply return a hard-coded five. That, that's how, you, like if you're truly following test-driven development, right, especially in the beginning, that's how you would do it, right? You would write just barely enough code to make it pass before you would refactor. Uh. Now, the question is, the question is, since you can only write enough code to make it pass, you can't write the comment ever. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, right? Yeah. There is no okay. comment. Yeah. So, if you're following TDD, does that mean does that mean you never write comments? 
Except maybe when you're done, and you're like, okay, fine, I got to write some summary of your documentation because Outlaw's kind of particular about his nougat packages. Nah, man, you do it, <laughs> you do it while you're in there. Otherwise, well, if you're practicing, if you're practicing pure TDD, then you're you're never gonna leave the keyboard if you're doing an ad <laughs> function. <laughs> it's just like if it's three plus four, return seven. Well, no, no, no. Five, I mean, I was I, that eight. was just like the worst example that came to or the first. I mean, first example that came to mind. But it illustrates uh, the point. But yeah. yeah, I mean, just for anyone who's not already familiar with TDD, I was just trying to illustrate what it is. But yeah, yeah I mean, if you're following TDD, then you never really get. There's never an opportunity to write comments because if you're following TDD, it doesn't say, like, write a failing test, uh, write enough code to make it pass, refactor, and then comment. It's no. It's those first three, and you just keep doing those first three. Yeah, I, I think that, honestly, though, you've mentioned it in a previous episode. Like, you name your methods crazy long, right? Like this. I name them crazy correct. I think it's what you mean to say. And that's nah. what I, mean. I, I don't think you need a comment. I don't think you need one. If it says... Well, but that's the unit test, though, that we're talking about that are crazy uh, long talking, correct. Yeah, you're talking yeah, about I'm not, starting I'm talking about, it. like, the actual code, though, okay. right? yeah. Yeah, so, because okay, let's say for example, you write that failing unit test, and then you go to write your your method that implements that failing, uh, or not implements it, but uh, makes that unit test pass. Right? You can't uh, technically write a comment first right. because you're only supposed to write just barely enough code to make the unit test pass. Yeah, I guess you don't do it then. Yeah, I guess you don't. All right, well, this whole section is done then. Forget the book. Yep, we're done. It, and that took uh, us right. what three minutes? We got through comments at three minutes, right? Uh, something like that. <laughs> I feel like Joe wants to say something. Yeah, we actually have some more stuff on comments, but first, um, wanted to mention a really great comment we got on uh, episode forty-four recently. Um, and that way, we had talked a bit um, about basically putting up your school projects if you're in, um, you know, some sort of school or boot camp, boot camp and um, posting those to your GitHub and using those to uh, kind of show off your your chops when you're looking for a job. And uh, Darren Hona mentioned that uh, that's probably not a good idea since a lot of schools. Um, will actually specifically prohibit you from doing that sort of thing because they don't want other students to just find your work and copy it, base it. And so said, uh, you know, you can do it. Just make sure you check and ask permission or make sure that you're allowed to do that before you post your results. That said, you should still do side projects, but I just thought that was uh, really good feedback. So, I mean, he's he's right. And he was like, oh, Michael, please don't tell people to do this. (laughs) And, you know... Yeah, so so Darren's probably right. Yeah, shame on me for saying it. But I kind of feel like, oh, boo, schools would do that, and they do. But I think if it were me, I'd probably still go ahead, maybe live up to my name here, and put it into <laughs> the repository. And, you know, along the lines of uh, better to beg for permission than or beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. I mean, even if I just put it in the repository and left it as you know as a private repository, right? And so then no one else can see it. And then when I graduate, I'm like, oh look, public all the things. Oh. Um, I, you know, th- that I mean, like terrible advice. Yeah, it probably <laughs> is. It re- pro- it really probably is. Um, but, but yeah, um, I hate that it's that that's true though. So thanks, Darren, for making me feel bad. And thanks, Darren, for the excellent feedback. And we love getting feedback in and all. We've got a lot of really great comments this time. And we've also gotten a lot of uh, really great reviews, which are awesome because they give us feedback, make us feel good, feel good about ourselves. And uh, they also help new listeners find the show, which is really important to us. And the show's been doing really good, uh, really, really great lately. And we really appreciate that. And uh, we desperately want more. So we would really appreciate it if you haven't reviewed us already, if you went to codingblocks.net slash reviews and hooked us up. All right, so now we're going to get into, we're going to take a little moment here to get into my 
newly favorite portion of the show is the survey says section. Now, in our last episode, the survey was, what is your preferred work environment? All right. Now, Alan, Joe, Alan, especially. I haven't cheated, man. I just I'm happened. pretty sure. I, yeah. I believe I'm telling That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't cheat. All right. If, if it happens again, we'll totally know <laughs> that you're lying. All right. Uh, you guys haven't cheated. So here are your options. No, no, Joe, no. (laughs) He openly admits to it. I I, I publicly deny it. (laughs) All right. What is your preferred work environment? I guess if we were playing it truly like uh, the Family Feud survey says, then you would have to, like, tell me something, and then I'd be like, you know, survey says. But we know what's in the survey, so that doesn't work very well. Yeah, I guess you're right. (laughs) All right. So your options are love me some cubicles or (laughs) open floor plan. Equals collaboration. Yay. Or home office, pants optional. Or a work office with a door. And lastly, coffee slash tea shop. So what's it going to be? Let's see. I think think Joe might have gone first last time. So Alan goes first this time. I... You know what? I mean, because I do get in Slack and I chat with people, I really don't know what people are going to do on this one because, I I mean, I've seen people that say that they work from home and they kind of hate it. I've seen people mm-hmm. that say that they work in an office and they kind of hate it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I... I think there's a lot of hate in the world is what you're getting at. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being a, a Debbie Downer here. I don't think you can please anybody is basically what it boils down to. I on it, So out of those choices... I'm going to say that people would probably like an office with a door. An office with a door. Not a view, but a door. A, well, yeah. A door. Which is kind of interesting because because the f- way this question was phrased is it's with a door. So it could be in the basement of the building, but as long as you have an office with a door, you're you're satisfied. You can shut the world out. You don't need a window, but you need a door. All yeah. right, Joe. I'm going to say that was I'm going to say that was 30%. 30%. All right. What have you got, Joe? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing. I think that it's going to be what? really close between working from home and home with our uh, office with the door. You I'm going to say one. that they're. I'm going to say office with the door at 33. percent 33 percent office man. with a door. Price is right, garbage. <laughs> All right, yeah. this is Price is Right. Yeah, here we go. So we're mixing two games: the Family Feud and the Price is Right. So by Price is Right rules, that means that you have to pick the right one without going over on the percentage, and the closest one wins. And survey says... You're both wrong. Home. Yeah. Home Home office, pants optional, is totally the winner. Why would you think anything less? Come on, man. We live in Atlanta. Have you seen traffic around here? Oh, dude, it's insane. It's insane. So uh, that might Mm -hmm. be part of it. But in Slack, like a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't really like working from home. I feel like I'm I'm trapped sort of like in a cave. Yeah, I am trapped in a cave. Yeah. But I've also only worn gym shorts for like six months straight now. (laughs) Right? It's amazing. Stretchy pants. (laughs) So wait, what was the percentage on this one? So home office won by 35%. Now, Joe cheated. He totally cheated. I I am going to go ahead and bet that because by Price is Right rules, he did beat you on an office with a door because that was our second most popular choice at 33.5%. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That yeah. close. Hey, so we were both pretty spot on with this one. Yeah, you both you both were in that third range, but he edged you out by Price is Right rules. So. I, I will say this. 
if I didn't live in an area where the commute sucked just to where drive to a coffee shop, right? Like, like, th- well, I don't know. That's the thing, right? If you live, like, maybe if you lived in the city and you worked in the city, it wouldn't be so bad, right? Like, if you could walk to the office or something. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. But if you I did. can tell you, I can tell you, I can tell you, having lived in quote the city yeah. and you know, worked in quote the city, that you could still have a forty-five minute subway commute and it would still suck. No, no. Let's say that you could walk to your office and it's five minutes away. I could. Yeah, see, most people don't have that that live no, in the city. No, no, they don't. But I could see somebody saying, you know, I do like to go into the office because I like to be around some people, right? Like I can, I can totally see that because. The only reason why I don't feel as trapped here is because we'll get together and go to lunch or right. we'll or we'll get on Skype or whatever the case may be. But there is FaceTime and so that helps. But people that are truly isolated that maybe aren't in a good developer centric type environment where they're just kinda working at home in isolation. Like one of our listeners that was like hundred and twenty miles away. Yeah. yeah, I mean I could totally see where that would be a problem, right? Like you literally feel like you're the only person on planet Earth. You know, and that's that's kind of I don't know. I, I get it. I well, get it. yeah. So I think the answer there, though, is that you don't necessarily need to be around coworkers. You just need interaction with people, period. Yeah. So if you're working from home and you're frustrated, just take a break to go to a coffee shop or go out and, and walk around a store or get something to eat or whatever. Just take a moment or be around other humans to remind yourself, like, yep. oh, yeah, this is why we do this. <laughs> right. Did yeah. anyone vote for cubicles? Uh, cubicles, yeah, totally. Really? It was, yeah, it was not one of the popular ones though. It was, it was uh, fourth Whoa, out of the yeah, five. You do get some privacy, you know, and you still get to go to lunch. Yeah, yeah I'm actually surprised because, like, um, of those options, if I wasn't going to pick home, because hmm, cubicles, I definitely am up there on the cubicles. I like it because you get just enough privacy, uh, you know, when you want it. Right, and if you want to put on some headphones to block people out, you totally can. Um, but like the open floor plan, which was which rated higher than cubicles by like double almost. Wow. Okay, I can't stand that. I can't stand if I can just like look across. Like you know, I'm sitting there and we're trying to write some code, and I gotta like look across and like, oh, there's your face. Oh wait, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I wasn't trying to catch your eye or something. I wasn't trying to like flirt with you while I was. <laughs> I just looked up from my monitor for a moment, or you know, you know, if you're trying to talk to your spouse or significant other, and you're like, you know, happen by just looking around, and all of a sudden you catch your coworker's eyes, you go, whoa, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just doesn't feel comfortable to me, and yet it was a, was a higher, choice. you know, more popular choice. Yeah, interesting. So I will I say I'm though, I, I think Slack kind of keeps me saying like, there's people I'm used to seeing, you know, most days like say like Angry Zoot or um, yeah. Mad Viking God or something. And I'm just used to kind of um, talking with these people day in and day out. And was, you know, I'm pretty isolated. Like I'm pretty far away from even any other developers out of my little island. Uh, so it's not really it's not really an island. Joe but, uh, owns an island. You heard it here, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Wow, yeah, you should man. Google it and try to um, skip past the photos with the police tape, um, and uh, you'll see some nice ones. Wow. But, so yeah, so it's nice to have uh, developer uh, connections there. Cool. So here's our uh, survey for this episode. So in keeping kind of topical with uh, some of the things we've already discussed here recently, hey, guess what? We have coding block stickers. We'd like to give you one. Send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Uh, you'll have to email us or DM us on Twitter, and we'll tell you where to go. Um, 
But uh, so in keeping with that topic, you know, Alan here is a little weird. <laughs> Doesn't want to put a laptop on on his or a sticker on his laptop. So I'm not trying to taint the jury here. <laughs> but the survey is: Do you put stickers on your laptop? So your choices are: No, I've got class and I'm an adult. Stickers are for kids. I don't have a sticker book. <laughs> I have a MacBook. All right. Right on. <laughs> or your other option is stickers. Stickers, all the things. So We're on one sticker. What one sticker? You can't yep. just stop at one, man. These are like yeah. Nice. If you do, These if you like have something over that apple, chips. you know, like Iron Man. <laughs> no, man. Hey, wait. How many stickers do you have on your laptop, Joe? Which laptop? The one that yours, not work. Uh, your personal laptop. laptop. You want to your personal stop laptops, it, man. The one that your MacBook. <laughs> MacBook Zero, Dell, what? like. I don't know, 10. And why? Because your MacBook is pretty and you don't want to mess it up, right? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, I will admit, How I had one on the Dell for many years. You had one had on one, the Dell? And then when I, I retired it and it basically became just like a, a shelf laptop, then I just started putting random stuff on there because <laughs> who cares? Um. But the MacBook, uh, not happened to man. Yeah, man. Would you drop three K on a on a machine and it's all polished? Your logic aluminum? is so backwards. It should be <laughs> the exact opposite because on the MacBook, if you want to take it off, because it is just aluminum, it's the easiest one to clean any sticker residue off of. Versus if it was a plastic one, like a plastic case one, like your Dell, then taking the sticker off could actually damage the plastic on it or any finish on the plastic or anything that you might try to clean the sticker residue off could mess up the finish of it. Your logic is completely backwards here. Hold on. I'm having a seizure right now seeing all the stickers flashing on, on Outlaws the back of his laptop. There might be like one or ten or thirty on there. I don't know. Oh, my God. How many are there? I don't. Who, who knows? I, I can't at least 20. count that high. There's at least twenty. Like it's, all right. Maybe it's I can't count that high. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I definitely am the more I want it clean. I have two on mine right now only because I've got coding blocks and I've got the MVP thing I got. Man, look at how beautiful this looks. The, this is amazing. Oh, God. There's a, Hey, there's this lovely little coding block sticker right here. The coding blocks one is nice. I, I yeah. will say, though, I did stick a coding block got sticker. Got an MS Dev Show one right there. Look at that. I put look it on that the beauty. back of my phone case. Yeah, right? so if I'm talking on the phone, people can see coding blocks sticking out of my ear. So that's nice. Um, I got a cool little robot. No, you, you like the robot. You like my Git Ninjas, too. No, man. I'd venture, uh, you know what, though? I'm going to be surprised. I think that no matter what I guess on this next one, I'm really going to have a hard time understanding it one way or the other. Right. Because I'm going to think it's about half and half. Like, some people are going to be like, no way am I still I mean, I'm that. actually really excited to see. And I'm actually surprised that Joe wouldn't have any on his laptop considering that he has an entire guitar that's held together by nothing but <laughs> stickers and if he ever took one sticker off it totally changes the tuning of it yep so 15 percent of my guitars have 100 percent sticker sticker coverage <laughs> did you say 15 percent have 100 yep. percent coverage I feel, I feel like he's trying to tell me he has 15 guitars yeah uh. uh. Uh, I didn't actually do the math. It might be 12.5%. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> I do the math. I have a lot either. of instruments. Oh. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, keeping with the humor here, uh, Binary Nexus wanted some jokes. Let's do it. So what's the object-oriented way to become wealthy? Inherit. Inheritance. Inheritance. Yes. Very good. Very good. Yes. All right, and then there were uh, a couple other things that I forgot to uh, mention here. What were they? Oh, 
Um, just kind of like a recap, or not really a recap, but uh, you know, the last the last episode, it actually sparked some pretty serious conversations, like a lot of them. That um, you know, there was that whole conversation about the method order, which we'll get into in more detail with the when we cover the next chapter, chapter five, which is uh, formatting. Uh, but yeah, there was a, some, a lot of interesting conversation around that one. And then the live PR <laughs> that got, there was, it got some love and it got some hate, but it was, it was totally uh, interesting. You know, it got a lot of talk. Let's put it that way. It did. It definitely sparked a ton of conversation on, on Slack, which was interesting. I mean, it, it's funny after the fact, like after I went back and actually looked at the code, I was like, okay, I see what you're saying with the VARs, right? Like, some of those things couldn't have been... They didn't need to be broken out and all it that. It was, for the record, just one method that we were talking about. Yeah, it was. And and honestly, I didn't even remember because we had planned on recording that episode, like, I don't know, a week or two prior. And yeah, so and we had, talked about, we had talked about doing the live PR a week or two before we actually got a chance to record it and then forgot, and then I remembered it, it on was, air. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, so some people thought, like, oh, great, Alan and Michael are arguing. This is amazing. <laughs> and then some people thought... Oh great, Michael and Alan are arguing. This is horrible. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, it was it was totally. Uh, this, so that part was interesting. But um, you know, in fairness, I I wish we had remembered it ahead of time so that we could have maybe prepared that segment a little bit better yeah. than than uh, what it ended up being. But because we were in that section at the time, I was like, well, okay, fine. Let's just go ahead and try this and see how this works. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. So, you know, yeah, it was the one method. It went from, it was one method that went from 16 lines of code to 43 after uh, the quote clean code approach, right? The, the method didn't go to that. The, uh, the method plus all of the other methods that went along with it, ones, I should right? say. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So, yeah. Sorry for that. Yeah. So to clarify, it, it, the original method by itself was 16 lines of code, but then after it was quote cleaned, and additional methods were added on, it became 43 lines of code. And so that was where, you know, the interesting things came. So, but, you know, again, uh, I don't know if we'll try it again. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, yeah. other lis listeners are probably like, oh, dear God. <laughs> we, so, we don't know yet. I mean, yeah. if we do, we'll probably prepare for it a little bit better. Because like I said, I mean, it was code that was gone in my head. So, yeah. Um, so sorry about that, but we tried. Yep. You get, sometimes you don't know until you try yeah, totally. what's going to work. And I didn't even realize we had more to talk about on comments here. Oh, I, yeah, man. I totally forgot we split this We are up. so totally not done talking about comments. So let's plow through this thing. Uh, so uh, we've already hit on the APIs because I didn't realize this was down here. Yeah, and we've already said that most comments are just bad comments and uh, not needed and code should have been changed, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. D Joe, did you see this when you were reading that they said they took some shots at Javadoc or they did take shots at Javadocs? Because oh, they yeah. said they were useless. <laughs> this was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, where they where they extracted or not extracted, but they were just pointing out like here here's a public library. Like you can go view the source code yourself. Here's the comments on the source, and it's horrible because it would be like uh you know here's a variable date, and they would have a comment above it. This is the current date, <laughs> yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah, you know, like something like that. Ridiculous. And we even talked about the log journals earlier, like how Subversion would add those things in the top of the files. Yeah. So so we covered that. Um, well, you know, and this is kind of going back to um, 
Okay, so so the log journals, uh, as it's phrased here, um, in let's let's focus on SQL Server for a moment, uh, which is Joe's favorite topic, which is why I picked it. Girl. So so <laughs> you're welcome, Joe. Uh, if you were to use the tooling within Microsoft uh, SQL Server Studio Management Studio to create a new stored procedure or function or whatever, it automatically puts in a uh, comment block right at the top that includes the author mm-hmm. right now i'm fine with like some description code in there but it bo- it bugs me especially when you see like change logs that are added into any kind of code whether it's sql or not but it you know it bugs me because i'm like well it's already in the source control but the fact that the author is there and it's in this template for the documentation I kind of hate that. That was the old days too. If you'd go into your IDE and create a new file, like there'd be a comment. At oh the yeah, top for the yeah. Author. No, like, you're totally right. I mean, it, it's just an at author declaration in your uh, Java. I think, uh, yeah, I think it was ego stuff back in the day, right? Like they're like, wait, these developers need to feel like they own this or so. I, I don't it's, really know. It's or been it's a few a years since I've used IntelliJ, but I feel like IntelliJ might still do that. It does, I believe. It does. Like it's if been I'm a while. To, I'm gonna get slapped. Somebody's gonna be like, oh, outlaw. So. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, we've already said that they're usually noise and useless. Oh, no, this is different. When you add a comment, it's literally just restating the exact, w- like you said with Tom. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Yep. The constructor. Oh, yeah, this is a constructor. Oh, come on. And it puts that comment in there for you, right? Like, add constructor here. Right. Oh, come on, man. Um, what else? Comments that contain about things back. I do this. Uh, I put comments there. I'm like, I don't know why this is like this, <laughs> or what's going on, or I don't I'm know how doing we got here. <laughs> hey man, if you if you're gonna complain, at least complain to where everybody can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that could be a thing. Sure, uh, sure. Um, don't use a comment when you can use a function or a variable. And this goes I back to like what that. you were saying earlier, Joe. Right, like refactoring that thing so you didn't start it too. Name your variable, and then it's obvious. Or just being yep. expressive, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, um, the the thing I did to upload the the videos to to YouTube, I started out by just kind of putting in comments, and I kind of pseudo coded it like old school style, and then I started writing code, and then later I went to the start. I was like, okay, everywhere where I have a comment, I'm going to take those three lines out and make it a method. Well, I started doing that, and next thing you know, the arguments start exploding because I realized I had dependencies just kind of woven throughout, and I realized that I'd written really crappy code, and it's functional. So you can see, if you want to look at some examples of uh, how not to write code and um, examples of bad comments, then take a look at the scripts I wrote. Um, hey, but, do we know, have, like how lines, about this but, one? Uh, do we have a link up on the site for our GitHub? I don't know if we uh, do. I don't know. If not, we'll add it in the show notes, and we'll make sure that we add it up at the top of the page along with our social links and the 5,000 other links that we have up there. So I feel like we really need to add some additional links up at the top. We do need more. I mean, it's, it's well, I mean, we got to make it look like the we back should of your probably, laptop. <laughs> we should probably comment that in the code. We should. Um, <laughs> what, about, what about this one? If uh, y- Have you ever seen this where uh, someone will have closing braces and they'll have a comment at it like this closes the if or this closes the while or this closes the switch yep. or this closes the function you know they they the author here uh uncle bob says that if you find yourself wanting to mark your closing braces you should try to shorten your functions instead that's a good point but you remember in html like back in the day you'd have templates mm-hmm. and it would have 
start this library. Like uh, Macromedia tools were were crazy about that. Like anytime you drag a component on there, start this and this. And right. Like, okay. All right. Yeah, so those are legitimate. I mean, you there's still <laughs> HTML today. I'm like, I want to see stuff like that. Like here's column one, column one end. Like I want to be able to search that file, and you can't really break those guys up, you know, modularly. But you could collapse the elements, right? Potentially. I, I yeah, mean, if I you're guess using depends. a modern editor. Yeah, it depends on how good the code is, too. So, yeah, I could see that. Um, what else we got? Yeah. Uh, what about banners? You banners. like the big to do banners? <laughs> I do in SQL. <laughs> <laughs> like this is the section that gets this crap. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what they what they were referring to by the banners. It was I, that. It was uh, the big the the big like titles type things that you put. So they're instead of just having slash slash and then your comment, it would be like slash 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 and then a bunch a bunch of stars and then Oh right, yeah. right, right, right. To break it apart. Yeah, I mean hmm. Uh I probably am bad about doing that. I do it so. in SQL for print statements. Like when you like you said it's hard to modularize SQL code. Well, if you have functions and you have procs that call other procs, sometimes it's really hard to find out where you are when something's going on. So I'll put print statements in there that will kind of have banners like start of this function, right? Mm. And then stuff that will oh, happen yeah. in it. And Well, yeah. I was thinking of examples like, because I'm pretty sure if you by default, um, I can't remember, when you do your summary documentation, doesn't it automatically uh, put in some of that those banners for you? Or am I thinking of uh, that wrong? I I'm thinking about I'm talking about the ones with like forty slashes on the right, and it's like yeah, intro yeah that's what I'm talking. That's what I'm saying. Slashes and, I think oh, I some might. I think some generators might. Because that's that's where I was thinking of as one. But then I'm also bad about in. I think Joe mentioned SQL. I, I'm pretty bad about there where I, for some reason I feel like I don't write my SQL to the same cleanliness level as other stuff. So I'm bad about that. But uh, I will have some gnarly comments in there that have uh, the banners to break it apart. Well, the big problem, I think, and not to get too far on the side tangent of SQL, I think the reason why it's so hard to write, you can write modular code with SQL. You can write functions, you can write all kinds of things, but then the thing that you run into the most of SQL is performance. So if you write it to where it's pluggable, right. then you're really taking a hit on the performance, and, and so usually that trade-off is not allowed. On right. in your relational database and that's kind of what stinks is you know yeah uh here is a big one that i absolutely hate is commented out code yeah we've talked about this one before uh in fact i remember um i remember creating a meme about it joking around about it because of a quote from i think it was roy uh how you pronounce his last name joe osharov osharov Something like that. Uh, the author of what was that book? It wasn't the AOP. It was unit testing uh, in C sharp. The art of unit testing. Yeah. Um, and because uh, he had made a comment that was along the same lines about you know I absolutely hate it when I see someone comment out code and then commit it because why? I've you, denied pull requests because you have you have uh, you know source control systems that can manage that. Why would you? L- do that you're not doing any favors and here in this book they the author makes the point of saying that you know if you do this others who see that commented uh, out code 
won't have the courage to delete it. They'll yep. think it's there for a reason and that it's too important to delete. And so the commented out code gathers like dregs at the bottom of a bad bottle of wine. It does. And and he's not lying at all. It 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 is horrible and it will stay there. Because you know, there's times where when I when I have seen that, if I absolutely know that it is old, then uh, you know, fine, I'll delete it. But sometimes you'll run across that commented out code, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Was this something new that the author wanted to add and didn't? Or I think there was even a case here recently where there was some code uh, that where there was a method written that was like, hey, I think we're going to need this eventually, but I found out that we don't, so I com- so it was commented out, and I think I came back to it later and was like, yeah, I'm deleting it. We'll, we'll add it when we need it, but for right now, who knows what that might look like. I actually had somebody, because um, I will straight up deny a pull request if there's a bunch of commented out code, because I'm like, this is, this is noise. Like, it, it really bothers me. <laughs> but I did have somebody that I contacted one time about it, and I was like, yo, dude, why, why do we have this in here? And he said... Because I'm actually, he was basically working in three different branches type thing to where this stuff needed to go into other places and it was going to get pulled upstream and in the up, or, or further up. And further up, it was going to be uncommented. So basically, he was saying, this is, going to ha- this is going to happen in the next version. I've already got it in here, but we don't want it in this version. And so I was like... Well, that seems horribly nasty. Okay, I guess. And so I kind of let that one go because I was like, okay, I get it. I understand why you're doing it. I don't love it, but I don't really know a good alternative at this point. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, well, yeah. So, what else? There's what else can we say about comments? Like HTML uh, comments. Joe loves HTML comments. He lo- those are his favorite things. He just mm-hmm. said it. What, what do you think about them? What do you think about I, them, Jay? Me? I, yeah. yeah, I hate them. What I about XML comments. comments in your code? Now, like what Microsoft now, does. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's be fair there. Because, you know, I was trying to make a joke and nobody bought, nobody uh, bet it. But because uh, uh, Joe was saying that he didn't like, or that he did like the HTML comments oh, in comments HTML. In HTML but this was specifically saying putting HTML comments in your. Uh, Java docs or in your summary documentation that that was the part that they didn't. Yeah, like. yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. That's the stuff I can't say. And I see, and you do see it. Like you'll see little B tags or whatever to make stuff bold. And I just don't. I hate seeing stuff like that. It looks nice when it outputs, but yeah, no, not is unacceptable. Unfortunately, as it relates to like, let's talk specifically the C sharp world, right? With the summary documentation, unfortunately, there are some of those summary tags that if you want to use. Guess what? You have to do things like, uh, you know, you can't you can't just do uh, less than. You'll have to do ampersand lt yeah. colon yep. or it's semicolon. Uh, oh, you know you what know, I do? Dude? That's the way. But that's <laughs> the way that that's the quote Microsoft way to do that, though, right? For some of those uh, instances, like, and I'm thinking of examples where you're trying to like say like see this other reference, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. uh, if you're trying to say that. Um, see this other uh, type that is a generic, right? And you want to include the uh, the alligators, right? Then you have, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where, yeah, you got to do that nasty uh, encoding, manual encoding. You yeah, you but uh, I will say, um, I, I like markdown stuff. Even if you're not running a markdown generator, like things like putting little asterisks beside something that you want to bold, 
Because I feel like that is meaningful when it's text only. And if you, you know, turn it into formatted rich text later, then that's that's fine. I have no problem with that. Well, I feel like it has become a thing that is meaningful, right? Yeah. Well, it's more Same readable. With it's more readable than some sort of HTML type stuff, right? Like that's, I think the one thing I hate and I see it a lot. So the, this HTML comments thing, it bugs me because it's not just in comments. People will feed HTML out of their database. They'll feed like HTML has kind of become this thing that everybody shoves everything into. Not everything runs off HTML, right? Like if you ever have some sort of mobile app that needs data. You've now got HTML all wrapped in there, and if it doesn't work with it, then then now you've you've junked up your your stuff. I, I, it, well, I guess uh, I should clarify too that manual encoding that I was referring to is actually uh, for XML, not for HTML. The and ampersands and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's I don't know. I think I like the idea if you're going to go one direction versus another. I like the markdown because it's just more readable, right? It's not tag based. It's not some sort of other language based. It's it's just kind of. You know, like they say, markup, right? It's not terrible. Yeah. And there's certain like words I like to bold. If I, even when I'm writing an email, if I'm saying this and this and the and, I really want to stick out because I really want to emphasize that these two things have to be true or else it's false. Then I'll, I'll bold the and. Or um, I like bolding knots all the time. So I'll say this is, you know, not the case. And I'll bold not because like when you kind of read over something, it's easy to kind of see what you want to see. And I feel like that kind of makes you focus on it. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, one of the other things they say is only code on the comment or only comment on the code that is right next to the comment. You not know, underneath? Well, not away from it. Okay. You know, don't, don't make some sort of comment that's, you know, all about the method way up here when there's things that, you know, are happening. You put it next to the code if you're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right underneath it. Right. <laughs> so they say ideally, right? Wait, above it or underneath it or beside it? Yeah, definitely not underneath. Hey, where do you like to put it? I'll agree on that. Do you hang to it the off left the right? Off. Do you hang it off to the right or you put it above? I usually right in put front it of above. It. Say what? Right in front of it. Wait, where, what does that mean? <laughs> to the left of my code. <laughs> you can't do that. Sure you can. You can oh. if you do the slash, uh, slash splat, star splat, and then star slash. slash. Oh. Whatever, I will deny that. Block code. comment. Do not do that. I'm not saying I do. That, that's Joe's code. Uh, yeah, so man, I when I read stuff it, into I the right of my at. banners. Uh, <laughs> that's how I get stuff through and pull requests. Do not ever do that. <laughs> you put all, you hide all the code in your banner so that uh, no one really uh, sees the bad stuff that's happening. That's horrible. So uh, don't put historical discussion or irrelevant descriptions of, or details in your comments. Yeah. No problem there. I might have done that once or twice. I mean, nobody's counting 43, but if we were... Yeah, if you start punctuating your comments, then, uh, you know, here's your sign. Here's your sign. All right. Uh, uh, don't write too much information in your comment. Sure. Yeah, that's why I just said, yeah. The, the comment should be easy to connect to the code it's describing. That's what we just said. Put it next to it. I feel like we've already covered these function headers. Yeah, we're there. Only uh, use Java. A well-named function is better than a comment header, which, yeah, I mean, I want to agree with, but going back to the packaging comment, that's the only place where it's like, uh, uh, who was the who was it that wrote in that said that these are best practices and not necessarily well, you got to do it all the time because, you know, if it's going if you're going to package this thing up, then you know, I do like to have the the ability to export out that API documentation. For others to consume. Yeah, I think the rule of thumb is just what you said. If somebody else is going to consume it, 
then you should probably have those comment headers. If it's just code that's going to be used, it's never shared, nobody else is ever going to interface with it, fine, don't do it. But if it's going well, to be Well, I'd be used, careful about the interface because somebody else is always going to be you know, helping you maintain it or maybe. you know, maintain it after you leave or whatever. Yeah, but it's not a but pluggable feature, I guess, is, is kind of what I'm getting packageable at. Right? Yeah, feature. Packageable feature. How about if we phrase it like that? Yeah. So we're we're down. We're done. We we, we and by packaged I mean that it would you know if it's going to be shared shared without the source code, yeah. it's only going to be distributed as a compiled package. Yep. Then that's where I like to have some of that documentation. But again, in the places where it makes sense, you know, if you have a two string, I get it. I know what that right. does. You don't really need to comment that to the nth degree as to what it does and tell me about the history of string concatenation or string two string functionality or whatever. Right, right. So we're down to the resources we like. Do we like clean code? Love it. Sweet. I did until we started doing this book and the description. Now, <laughs> now I'm done. I don't like it anymore. This will not be in the resources we like. Uh, I'm joking. So. Uh, so yeah, we will totally have a link to that in our show notes. And now we enter into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yes, sir. And I believe you're leading off this go around. Yeah, buddy. So I don't really know how to classify this one. I'm going to classify it as a tip of the week. But it's also kind of like a, a correction, though. Because in the episode 48, last episode, you gave a tip where it was something along the lines of, hey, if you ever want to just see, I forget how you phrased it, if you ever want to see like the files that have changed uh, that that are in your re you know, that are in your repo, but you don't want to see maybe a bunch of other stuff because like in your example of some other third party framework where in that example you're not just taking in like a compiled DLL, one DLL, you're taking in their source. Um, you know, so think of like maybe some JavaScript framework and you're bringing in a bunch of their code and uh, you want it in your repository at the, at the part of that um, commit just so that, you know, others can build it, whatever. Um, whatever your reason is, you have it in your, in your repo, like it or not. And so you had this command that was something along the lines of, hey, do a git diff dash dash cached dash. I don't even remember all the parameters. Name only. That was pretty much it, yep. Yeah, so I got a much easier way to accomplish that, and I apologize that I didn't even that this didn't even dawn on me when you said it. Um, so I apologize for that. But yeah, dude, you could just totally do a git status. You could do a git status in the path that you care to see, and it'll show you only those changed files. So yes, that would work. The problem I had though is I had files in multiple different directories at different levels, mm -hmm. and so the issue I ran into is unless I wanted to do each one individually, I wanted to be able to run one. So I initially tried to do a git status, and the problem is, is all the files, basically I deleted a bunch of files from a repo, right. and so they all <laughs> showed up, and they blew everything out of the cache. Now here's where every Linux shell guy is going to be like wanting to slap you around Grip. too. <laughs> because you could have just as well just done your normal git status without passing in a path, and then pipe that to a grep minus v, and then exclude whatever regular expression pattern you want. Interesting. And still seeing your changed files, right? But the point is, is that, um, you know, you can just add the path to a lot of Git commands to just see that portion of it. So, 
you know, kind of going following on or adding on to your tip from last week, if you do a git status in a particular directory um, path, then you'll only see those changed files in that particular path that you pass in if, if you are trying to narrow it down. And similarly, um, <clears throat> you know, other examples where this could be used is you could do um, so might, you might normally just do a git status and no other commands. You could also do the same for diff. You could just say git diff, and it'll show you a diff of everything that you've changed. And if you've changed a lot, like in your case, that might be too much. So you could say, hey, git diff and, and include a directory path, and then you'll see only a diff of the file or files that have changed in that path. And adding on to that, suppose you want to just add the files in that path to stage them for your next commit. You could say git add in that particular path and it'll add it'll stage them for your next commit. Yep. Now, uh, specific to the add, you can get a little fancy uh, if you wanted to and you could wildcard it, right? Now, if you just do like a let's say let's say that you had all of your SQL related cuz Joe loves SQL. So let's say that you had all of your uh, SQL-related files in a directory called Sprock, and uh, you were to do a git diff Sprock slash, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to add all of those. And you did a, you could do uh, a git add Sprock, and it would and it would just add all of the files that have changed uh, that are in that directory to uh, to your staged uh, area, if you want to call it that. Um, but you could also do things like you know sprock slash splat dot sequel uh, if you wanted to wildcard it. But if you were to just say uh, sprock dot or uh, git add sprock slash splat, then you could be aware be aware that git add will warn you if doing splat in that scenario would add files that are otherwise considered to be included. Like maybe in that sprock directory, there's a dot folder that would typically be hidden um, and ignored by your git ignore file, but because you try to do a git add splat on that particular directory, it will warn you, hey, I'm sorry, we can't git add this because you are attempting to add things that are um, that that are supposed to be ignored. But you can so force it, it will it warn you with a dash a. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that, man. Yeah, you why? Can totally why? Do that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Well, you're thinking of just like a git add dash a, yeah, yeah. without without a splat capital A, and that that's yeah, that's sorry, dangerous. It's uh, I'm a big fan of you should. I'm a big fan and and believer and practitioner of when I do my commits, I specifically review the individual files and specifically stage them independently. Uh, you know. I don't just get add everything and then commit everything or, or even worse. I don't do like a commit, uh, dash M a where you are, uh, staging, uh, where you're adding the commit message and adding everything at the same time. I, I don't do that either just because of my own fear that I might commit something that I didn't mean to commit. So sweetness. All right. Who's up next? Is that, Oh, that's me. That's you. you. Yeah, so... You're going to give us another uh, website that's not available, aren't you? I am. That's what you, oh, Did my you gosh. Yeah, oh, my gosh. So this I was really joking, stinks. man. No, so... I think Dynamic uh, DNS is down again. Code Wars is down. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It looks like there's a DDoS thing going on, so... 
Um, that's I was really just hitting this to make sure everything was cool. So it looks like we're recording at a time when sites are under attack again. You know what? This really, I, I hate to say this, but this really kind of sucks that this is sort of what we're in now, right? Like people do these kind of, it drives me crazy. Um, so at but any rate, we don't want them mad at us and taking us down. Right, so, right. you know, if that's what you want to do in your free time, I mean, hey, it's not for me. <laughs> I, I don't think we'd be all that difficult to uh, destroy, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, not. wait, 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 wait. No, he's totally, that's not at all the case. Right, right. So <laughs> Moving right along. Let me see here. So, all right. So my tip was, and this is, I, I'm really kind of upset because you guys would really love to see this. So we talked about Docker a little while ago. One of the cool things that this company did, and it's I, I can't even remember who they're a subsidiary of or broke off of, um, but there's this site called hyperdev.com and we'd talked about, you know, how would you go about learning something or teaching your kids? Like this conversation's come up a lot in Slack. Like, uh, people have, you know, asked, Hey, what, what should I get started with? Dude, hyperdev.com is amazing. You don't have to worry about all the minutia of setting up an environment like your server, your, your client stuff, all that. You go to hyperdev.com and there is an online IDE, and when you hit run, it sets up your server, runs it, and you actually have a site that you can go back to. Well, for okay, so let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, this isn't down. They're just doing maintenance on my. Oh, you what, see, you for see what that? I see. Mine won't load. And <laughs> then, and then number. So my next question is, uh, or actually my first question is, so are you saying that this is like a, a like a Docker container that would run locally on your system? On theirs. So that's what okay. It's, it's in the cloud. So, what so it might be Docker on theirs. So it no, might be it a virtual is. machine. I actually listened to a podcast where they were talking about. Oh, okay. So it so is it using is Docker, Docker in the background. Yep, it's Docker. And so the way the reason they did that is the very reason. I don't know if we talked about it on this show, but one of the reasons to use Docker is unlike a VM where you have to provision, you know, eight gigs of RAM and two virtual CPUs or whatever. Like that's what that that particular virtual machine is going to use with Docker. You could have like 16 gigs available, but spin up, you know, 50 Docker containers and give them each a couple gigs. Well, if I could restate that, just maybe to make it more clear or not, if you if you wanted to spin up a hundred VMs that each had one gig of RAM, and you wanted to spin those up concurrently, as each virtual machine would come up, they would grab a lock on that RAM, meaning that your host OS would have to have a minimum of 100 gig plus whatever it needed in order to run those concurrent VMs. Yes. Whereas in Docker, if you had, uh, you know, 100 Docker instances that you wanted to run concurrently that each needed a gig of RAM, uh, because they're sharing the resources in the RAM, they wouldn't grab a lock on that hundred on that one gig. They would only uh, use what they needed at the time. So in practice, you may find that you only needed, say, 60 gig available for all of those instances to run concurrently. Yep, totally. And it's, that's just a weird example, assuming, you know, but it's one that easy, everyone can, like, easily, uh, it's easy to to picture that yeah, example. Yeah, it's kind of elastic resources, right? Like, yeah, it'll okay, grow yes. up to what it needs and then shrink back down to what it's using. Right? So HyperDev is using, so you're saying that HyperDev is using Docker in the background, but you could say, like, hey, I need to have a Linux, Nginx, 
uh, server to play with, they'll spin up a Docker container. No, no it's easier than or that. Or instance for you. Easier than no, that. So easier. it's basically like Node.js. Basically, you have your IDE up there. You can just start coding JavaScript. And then when you're so done, like in the browser editing like a JS fiddle. Yes, yes, very similar. Except you can create an entire application, and when you're done, you hit play, and you now actually have a site on the web, and it's free up to so much, um, you know, RAM or whatever kind of usage. And then if at some point it starts getting popular, you can pay to have it scale out. Oh, this thing actually stays around. Yes, dude, that's what's amazing. So so they keep they spin this Docker image up and leave it up, and yep. it stays. Yep. Holy pretty maintenance sweet, right? nightmare. I don't want to think about that. Well, the, the cool part is, right, like if it's if it's not using any resources, it's not really doing anything. No, it's, that's true. But I was thinking about it from them, like they're in a maintenance window right now. they got to know all the, all the Docker instances that you know, somebody manage. wants up yep. and you know, somebody wants running. So I wonder how they do that. Like, are they are they letting the instances die and then spinning them back up on the fly? Because the whole know. this is this is also going back to Docker versus VM. Uh, you know, one of the big pros to Docker versus virtual machines is because you aren't there's not that virtualization of the hardware where you have to actually like put a lock on things to you know to to have your dedicated resources. Um, in the Docker world, because you're sharing all those, it spins up in seconds compared to yep. a VM might take a minute or so to actually boot up, right? You actually yep. have that boot sequence. Yeah, it's not even really spinning machine. up, right? It's just sharing the resources. Yeah, it yeah. just starts a process. It's up. just a process, yeah. It's it's really cool, and it hurts me that this is not working right now because, I mean, it's, again, it's pretty amazing. Like, their whole, they're kind of going for the freemium thing like a lot of places do now to where, hey, come in here and play, get hooked on it, you create something, and now you need it to grow. All right, start paying us a fee, which is not terrible, right? At least you can get started. So um, That's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it's it'll too be bad that up. you gave a, a tip that we can't verify. Oh, it's so frustrating, use. man. Like, I had actually clicked it when you were when you were talking, and I was like, why is it not I would Because I would totally do some OAuth with this thing, because there was this other resource that was about OAuth. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, man. Uh, that hurts, doesn't it? it? Does Sorry. Hurt. <laughs> so hopefully this thing will be up whenever you guys get in here. But yeah, right now I'm I'm a little. I'm it's a little, Joe's fault. It's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with that. All right. So yeah, I got that uh, Python book on um, on penetration testing, and I've been uh, trying out a couple sites in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Thanks for taking me out. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, um, my uh, tip is an open source Visual Studio extension. Um, so if you're using Visual Studio, you should check this out, and it's free. And it doesn't just work for C-sharp. It also supports C++, F-sharp, VB, PHP, um, a bunch of other stuff, less uh, SAS, stuff like that, JavaScript, TypeScript. And it's got a, a lot of really nice features, um, like code cleanup, um, comment formatting, <laughs> which uh, you know is a big no-no according to this episode. Um, it's just some other cool stuff, just some really nice refactorings. And uh, one of my favorite things is it actually adds a little progress bar down um, near the... Uh, the uh, like the Windows, um, the, the Visual Studio. Um, what do you call it? Like the button. You're, you're doing you know, a you, great job. Keep going. <laughs> I'm really enjoying your use of words. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. When you click on Visual Studio, right, and you're in Windows, it puts a little icon down in the taskbar. What is that called? Uh, the icon down in the taskbar. Like the app icon, maybe something like that. <laughs> okay, well, when it's building, you actually see the little green bar moving from left to right, and so it's nice because you can actually, you know, go browse around, do some stuff, and you can still like see the from left to right, like Knight Rider, like it goes back and forth, like Knight Rider, or it just not at all. 
progress <laughs> like uh, a progress indicator. It shows uh, the progress of your build. So you can see without actually going over Visual Studio that, oh, I've still got some time on my build or my build's done. I can get back to work. I thought there was like a Michael Knight option to this thing. Oh, wait. No. I follow you, and I'm actually excited about it now that I've, I think, understood what you said. So right now, like if you hit Build in Visual Studio... It's sometimes it just goes away and you don't even really know if it's doing anything, right? And you're well, it's like the bottom right, you know. So yeah. like you have to have Visual Studio open. So if you're like, okay, this build's going to take two minutes, unless you're going to sit there and watch the thing, you're you know you're going to go check email or whatever, respond to some stuff. But in this way, uh, in this case, um, it changes that icon in your taskbar, so you can actually see the progress indicator right there. So you don't have to go back to Visual Studio just to see if your build's done. I like it now. Now I feel kind of bad for putting you on the spot like it does. <laughs> That's no, all good. I, I don't. That's- <laughs> Those were some amazing words. <laughs> that thing but, uh, that, that, that. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I want to relive Thanks, that. You're welcome. Well, uh, <laughs> That's what we do. Just driving the bus. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, this has been a long episode, guys. <laughs> well, the reason I, I mentioned this is uh, it's got a code reorganization uh, feature that lets you do stuff like automatically um, sort me- uh, methods and members based on like Microsoft Style Cup Convention or Alphabetical Order or... Um, you know, privates first, whatever. And so it's got some really nice features for doing that sort of thing. And that's why someone recommended it to me. Unfortunately, I'm a jerk and I didn't get the name. And so if you uh, say something in Slack or message us and let us know uh, that it was you, uh, then I will apologize to you personally and uh, send you some stickers. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's free. Yeah, I'm totally curious to see uh, because, okay, so... We've maybe talked once or twice about my love affair for ReSharper, and uh, it has a lot of it shares a lot of functionality that with this. So I'm yep. curious to see, like, uh, you know, a comparison of one versus the other. Like, you know, it is does code made uh, in terms of formatting beat it out? Because I'll tell you, I have seen ReSharper do some cleanup that I'm like, whoa, no. I wouldn't have done that <laughs> ever. Like I'm very selective about the, some of the cleanup that I'll let ReSharper do. I, I, I uh, r- maybe once in my u- entire usage of ReSharper have I dared to say like, you know what, just go ahead and clean up this entire file. Right. But I have definitely not thrown it at entire solutions or projects and be like, you know what, just go wild. <laughs> I trust you. Uh, yeah. You know what's nice though? Um, it's got a, a shortcut too for uh, join lines. So if you've got like say uh, you know a, a get or setter kind of thing going on, and the get takes three lines and all it does is return a variable, you just select all, Control M J, and then it just smashes those guys into one line. Nice. But what do you mean smashes into one line? Like one line that's like uh, does this thing semicolon does that thing does semicolon no. then like what do you? Well, mean yeah, I mean line? it'll do that too. But I'm talking about like I'm um, like a getter. So you've got um get um, bracket. Return oh, 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 my oh. variable bracket. You know that's it's four lines and it's only doing one thing. So I want to you know control MJ done. Yeah, I like that. Um, so does it yeah, have does it one, have the feature it, to sort based off the use, well, which is what we well, talked about. Well, he said time. he said the style cop versus alphabetically. So, but style cop, that was what you were talking about bringing like the privates and the publics together and all that. Is there the thing of because what we the talked newspaper. about, yeah, being able to this we're, uses this, this uses this, does it do that? I'm still trying to figure that out. It's got some um, custom rules that you could set up for how to sort things, so I'm not really sure if that's an option. I'm not seeing that one specifically, I haven't found it uh, yeah. when I messed with it either, so I don't know yet. I'm curious about going back to your joining example though, like, um. And again, only because I have more experience with ReSharper 
and none with Codemade. Because ReSharper will do that automatically. Like, there, you don't need to do a keystroke for that. Uh, like, as you're typing it, if you were to type it out as uh, individual lines and you put in that last curly brace and it realized, yeah. oh, you're not really doing anything, it'll just, boom, format it back up into one. It'll, it it'll collapse yeah. it. So does, does Codemade do the same thing? Is it like watching as you're typing and like making formatting changes? I've only barely um, experimented a little bit, and I did not notice that. But oh, I might okay. have just missed it. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I was just used to it though. But I will say um, one thing I didn't mention is that it's got um, like a little uh, window that shows the methods, but you can actually rearrange them there too. So you can go ahead and drag this guy underneath that one, this one, and that one, that one, and it actually will do it in the code, which is really Ooh, nice. Ooh, that is nice. Wait, say that again. I it, so in like a, you know, like the drop down. It sounds like in the drop down, like where it shows you your methods in Visual Studio. He's saying there's a window there that will show you all the methods, and you can drag them around in the window itself, and it'll rearrange your code in the file. Yep. That <clears> sounds <throat> horrible. Though. That's amazing. Because the what? window's already alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't trying to make a joke. I wasn't trying to be funny. But it honestly is, though, right? Like, are we talking about the existing, like the Solution no, no. Explorer? No, no, the new one, the Codemade window. Oh, it's got yeah, some, so it, it, so it has its own like solution explorer type view. It's for the file, so it shows you all the methods in the file and the the in um, whatever order they're in. Exactly, and you can go ahead and say, you know what, I want all my publics at the top, or you can say, I want to rearrange these alphabetically. But you're um, saying you could do it manually and just drag them around in this uh, code made solution explorer window, and it would rearrange them. Yep, I like that. Mm. Okay, I might be installing this and playing with it. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nice, and it's uh, on GitHub, so you can contribute. Sweetness. All right, then. All right, well, I guess somebody's going to have to add in the f ability to do newspaper <laughs> sorting. Oh, sorry, it sucks. No, you don't have to. We don't need it. <laughs> um, all right, so I think I've said all I need to say. Uh, so, guess what? We've talked about Chapter 4 Chapter whopping four of clean code. We're really progressing fast on this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope you're able to keep up with this fast-paced topic. We'll and be done by the year 2020, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, there's no way. We are not going through this entire book. No way. <laughs> there's no way. It'll take forever. Um, and if you hate this, then we've only gotten good feedback about it. So if you hate it, you should leave us a five-star review and then email us to let, you, let us know why you hate it. Definitely email right. the hate and uh, share the love. That that should be a that should be a saying. That's share the love, slogan. email the hate. That's going up at the top of our site. Right, right. Coding box. Share the love. Uh, email the hate. Star the love. Email the hate. And uh, make sure you do leave us a comment at episode four. Uh, www.codingblocks.net slash episode 49 for your chance to win your choice of either a copy of Clean Code or a license to Post Sharp Ultimate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in case if you heard this episode because a friend uh, let you borrow one of their devices to listen to it or they pointed you at our website and you heard it that way or you found it from some Reddit article or whatever, hey, now you've heard it. So be sure to go on to iTunes or Stitcher uh, or whatever your favorite podcast app is and uh, subscribe to us there and leave us a review. We like reviews. We have handy links for you at www.codingblocks.net slash review uh, where you can leave us a review uh, for your favorite platform. Yep. 
And as you said, visit us at codingblocks.net. You'll find all our show notes for this episode and many others, examples, discussions, and more. Yeah, and send your feedback, questions, and rants to our Slack channel, uh, codingblocks.slack.com. Sweet. And uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, at codingblocks, or head over to codingblocks.net, and you'll find all sorts of links, including maybe one to GitHub. Yeah, we need to add that in there. I'm sure that we'll get that done at some point in time. <laughs> all right, now I got to go to the potty. All right. You well, that was that. more than we needed in there. Sweet. Yeah. Sorry, I've been a little testy for the last 45 minutes because I got to go to. Is that what it was? You haven't been testy. I'd like to have a quick conversation with you, real quick, sir. I'm surprised no. you didn't just go to the potty. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yo. The benefits of working from home. <laughs> I, I, you know what I want to discuss though is why is a grown man referring to it as the potty? That just sounds wrong. Oh, uh, we're rated G. 